0: Herbert under center, again the lone back in the backfield is Eckler. Ball between the hash marks. Palmer motions to the left side. They give off to Eckler who dances into the end zone for a touchdown. Picks up the ball in the near hash. Shot can snap for Foles, steps up in the pocket, watches it downfield. It's picked off by the Chargers. Third interception of the game. It's Asante Samuel giving himself out of bounds on the return to the Colts' sideline. They're going quickly here, Herbert under center. He's gonna turn, hand off to Eckler. He's in there for a touchdown. His second rushing score of the ball game second down and long for the Colts they trail by 17 points they've got the ball on their own 43 yard line moving left to right pulls out of the gun four receivers into the game standing in the pocket looking, scanning he's going to be brought down from both sides that's the fifth sack of the game for the Chargers this time it's Kyle Van Nooy final score tonight on the ruoff Mortgage scoreboard it's the Chargers 20 and the Indianapolis Colts
1: Three. You know, pretty pretty simple. Can't turn it over. Got to convert on third downs offensively, get them off the field. Um, and you know, can't leave the defense on the field. But when they are, they got to get off on third down. So didn't do enough to, to get it done. And uh, unfortunately, that's the way it turns out. We never got into a rhythm as an offense. And I think the points show. I mean, three points, I mean, that's never going to be good enough. So um, we never got into a rhythm as an offense that really got going. And that starts with the quarterback. And we have to make sure we do a good job um, Throughout the course of the game to try to find a rhythm. Well, we've, I mean, I, I mean, Sam's had his shot as well. I haven't, I haven't, I wasn't here when that happened. But um, you know, as as we've looked through there, we're we're trying to find a spark. We, as Nick was practicing, and we felt like he gave us the best opportunity. Unfortunately, it wasn't his night
0: tonight. Look, you know, from from the way we are practiced and the way Nick had been moving the football, you know, you still had
1: a chance. We got down there on the fourth down, fourth and short inside the red zone. You know, you got to convert there, looking for a touchdown because we hadn't moved it. You know, you, you're trying to get some kind of spark and. Now, there's this you know, there's going to somebody else wasn't the answer right there. We gave him the friggin' game.
2: In my opinion, that sucked. Boys, we sit here on a Tuesday afternoon. Who had a worse day yesterday, Jimmy? Was it the Indianapolis Colts or was it Southwest Airlines? tough question oh bk that is a
0: very tough question and it's one of my favorite type of questions because it has the perfect blend of of real world life-changing problems in the world of, of of pop culture news and society and also the franchise that keeps on giving stinker after stinker after stinker um i'm gonna go southwest because i was ugly That's bad. And a lot of families and and, and I'm sure screaming children and stress and drama. So still probably Southwest. But boy, Colts gave a run for their money in terms of who let people down more, who disappointed people more yesterday. Uh, my God, was that something last night.
2: I mean, you've lost now five games in a row, Jimmy. 20-3 to 3 the final last night. The LA Chargers come in, clinch a playoff berth. Justin Herbert, who I think a lot of people would have liked here in a blue and white uniform, who is now playing on the West Coast, obviously, going into the playoffs for the first time. Maybe Brandon Staley's job is safe. Big night for the Chargers yesterday. Austin Eckler was really good. Keenan Allen, I think, Eddie said, uh, eclipsed his receiving over under in the first half was that right Eddie? See si, señor. 23 the final. Jimmy, I you you look at these final scores from the last 3 weeks, 54-19, 39-36, which by the way Asterix was the biggest comeback in NFL history. Now 20 to 3. And you know, I was not aware of this when I left the building last night because it was just so damn ugly. So you put up 3 points in a game for the th- Second time this year, you got shut out in week two. And for the second time, Jimmy, this team did not convert a third down. I don't care who is playing quarterback. It could be a tire stall. A competent, breathing athlete could probably convert a third down. But for the second time this year, this team failed to. This
0: offense continues to let down week after week after week what has been, for the most part this year, a pretty solid defensive squad. We obviously talked about the disappointment against Minnesota last week that was the, as everybody knows, the largest collapse in NFL history. And you could argue that might have been a little bit of shared blame, even though the offense didn't really do enough to give the defense breathing room it needed, despite the, the point advantage. I mean, like breathing room from a stamina standpoint, not breathing room from score. Obviously, they were up largest margin in NFL history, they should have been able to close that game out. But last night, I'm looking at it, watching all this unfold in the first quarter. Punt. Punt. And three straight interceptions by, by both teams. Like, like just, just out of the gate. Oh, it's a defensive special team shootout. That's the game it's going to be. That's an ugly game. That's the kind of game where you're like, hey, Colts might be able to win this thing. Because it's just ugly enough that... You break through in one area, and maybe this turns into, like, another Denver and Indianapolis game, like that Thursday night game out at Mile High, where it was, like, 9-6. to I, I can't remember if that was the final or not, but it was somewhere in that area, 12-6, whatever it was. Just an ugly game, not a lot of offense. And then the Chargers reminded everybody, oh, yeah, by the way, we're a Super Bowl contender. And the Colts offense reminded you that we are closer to the Texans than we are anybody else in this league. Like, that—that that is what Indianapolis... Is right now. We talk about the South and how bad it is for the last three weeks. They have been closer to the Houston Texans in terms of where they should be in power rankings, the state of their franchise, and the trajectory of where they can go from here. That's where they are. They're with Houston. They're at the bottom of the league. They are in the lottery for a reason, or not in the lottery, but in the draft order for for a reason. And last night, on a number of different levels, I've said this a couple weeks now, but I will emphasize it again. I have seen all that I need to see out of Jeff Saturday. I don't care that he hasn't had an opportunity to fully add his scheme in there. He hasn't had an opportunity to adjust too much. I don't care that he hasn't had an opportunity to fully gel with his coaching staff. This is the same roster, except now Jonathan Taylor is out completely that Frank Reich operated with. And for the last three games it has been Jeff Saturday at least he said it is maybe he's lying for Jim Mercer it has been Jeff Saturday decisions for who's under center with the phrase insert player name here gives us the best chance to win and these performances have looked progressively worse with insert player name here gives us the best chance to
2: win Jimmy you brought up the Texans and even though the Colts you're right they do look like the Texans look the Houston Texans got to win this weekend Jimmy they beat an AFC South opponent. The Houston Texans are now two twelve 12 one They have, with two wins, more division wins than the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts have one division win. They already got swept by the Titans. They miraculously beat the Jaguars after that was back-to-back wins, by the way. Maybe three wins in four games. When's the next time we're going to be seeing that around here? I don't know. Chiefs, Broncos, Jaguars within four weeks. You got three wins,
0: and their offense looked competent. That's the other thing. This is a, that's a terrible team down south, and their offense has at least looked competent and fluid in those games.
2: Jimmy, Damian Pierce, they were starting Rex Burkhead in the backfield. (laughs) Rex Burkhead was part of the uh, running back machine that was in New England. He played like 10 snaps a game, and now he's the number one running back in Houston because Pierce is hurt. Brandon Cooks has barely been able to play down the stretch. Nico Collins has been hurt. They've been starting Jeff damn Driscoll half the time. And they're able to move the ball. That's why
0: I don't have time for the whole, well, Jonathan Taylor's not out there. It doesn't matter. Like, it's not not that deep anymore. If this was a full season sample size and Jonathan Taylor's not out there, I'm fine with it. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll handle that excuse. You're right. At this point in time, that should not be the sole inhibitor to why you can't, A, move the ball down the field, and B, once you kind of do every now and again, actually punch it in and convert. Like great, we know Chase McLaughlin can hit field goals. We know they figured out the kicker spot. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. I would, I would, I would honestly, and this is probably short sighted on my end. I would gladly take back specs. I would take back Blankenship if it meant a competent offense on a drive by drive. That's basis. easy to say now. It though. is but easy then, to then say you're now. Then are missing 32 yard chip but, shots. I, <laughs> I know it's easy to say now, which is why it's very short sighted of me, and I probably don't mean it all that much. But BK, like McLaughlin, is the MVP of this team. Like like in terms of oh, uh, in terms of a scoring opportunity, <laughs> it is him. That's it's, it.
2: It's like the New England Patriots defense outscoring the offense this year. Like the the Patriots defense has scored more points and special teams combined have scored more points than the Patriots offense.
0: <laughs> it's just it, it, they're they're going into territory of we already knew they're one of the worst teams in football. And we talked about that from an offensive standpoint, but they were still kind of hiding behind the fact that, oh, we, we're not quite the worst. Look at the Broncos. They only average like 15 points. You're in that territory now. And the national stage knows you're in that territory now. It's unfortunate because for years, a lot of people that cover this team, that care about the team, like Kevin Bowen, for instance, have been a torchbearer for there needs to be more national games highlighting in the city of Indianapolis. And that is still true. Right, This is a wonderful city, and it's great to be able to see it pop on the national spectrum. But the idea of finally getting those opportunities and them arriving at one of the worst seasons, I mean, not the worst season in Colts history, right? but one of the worst seasons, be up there. it's in the conversation, particularly from an offensive standpoint. So yeah, just all of last night, and there's going to be plenty to dive into. We're going to take your phone calls uh, a little bit later in the show as well if you have any thoughts on this we will get to you for certain in the meantime you're welcome to join the youtube chat uh just search um the fan midday show we're going to 1075 the fan on youtube have you up there and you can tweet us as well at b king sports at the Jay cook at eddie garrison underscore if you have any comments on that eddie was nice enough to do a little bit of uh eddie and info or stats and info our version of that uh compiling some numbers for us i we mentioned this yesterday bk we had a conversation about it is this team any different Underneath Jeff Saturday than they were Frank Reich. And your thought is. If you are giving Jeff Saturday an audition. And you're parting ways with Reich because you think you've seen enough. At that point in the season playoffs are still on the table. Your hope is that Jeff Saturday could turn this around for you. At a minimum. You would hope that he's able to. Make the team look better than they did. Even if they're still losing. Make them look better than they did under Reich not step back. And that's what they've done. They've taken two or three leaps back over the last five games. What, they've lost five straight now? Is that it? Five straight games since they beat Las Vegas? Five. And the offense is just plummeting in free fall. Some of that is... Maybe you want to blame some of that on the fact there's nothing to play for. I've argued there's a ton to play for. You're playing for jobs, you're playing for contracts, you're playing for your future in the NFL. But if you want to be like, oh, well, they're, they're not actively tanking, right? that That's not happening. But there's there's not a collective effort within the Colts' locker room of, hey, we're just going to lay down tonight and only score three points. That's not it. There is not a good team. They are a flawed
2: team offensively. That is the bigger issue. I don't believe there's tanking, Jimmy, but I do believe that there is no morale on that sideline. And, and, there, but he's a leader of men. Ze- <laughs> that, that, I, I, that's half a punchline, but that's that's why he was here. We. That's why he was brought in. We've been running that promo with Jake, which... Masterful play on words by Jake. Because, as you as you said, that was the appeal to bringing this guy in. There is zero morale on that sideline, Jimmy. Nothing. The guys look dead when they come back to the sideline. And, again, maybe it's because they're out of playoff contention. So, no, they're not tanking. But there is zero positivity when you look down in the near sideline from the Colts press box. Nothing. No emotion. A bunch of standing there with their arms at their side. And that's even to start the game. Because Nick Foles, smartly, the Chargers gave the Colts the ball, which I think has been the strategy by nearly every team that wins the toss against the Indianapolis Colts. They will gladly give them the ball to start the game and defer to the second half. Smart by Brandon Staley and the Chargers. That first drive, the three and out, they got a quick Deion Jackson run, second and eight. From that point, it was over. From that point, it was over. There was no morale on the sideline. A bunch of standing. They trot back. Nick Foles grabs the iPad. The defense goes out beginning of the end right there.
0: Where it died for me was seeing the coach in Brandon Staley, who is known for being aggressive, always pushing the needle, not caring what down it is. I'm going to go out there. I can beat you for four yards on fourth down. We're not just going to punt the ball back. Or we're not going to settle for field goals. He looked across the sideline at this Colts offense and said, you know what? Three points ain't bad because you guys can't do bleep. You can't do anything offensively. I'm going to take the points because that's all I need. I don't need to go for it and fourth down against you because you're not going to make this a shootout for me. I'm just going to keep taking field goals even though I always go for it. I always roll the dice. I'm like the poster child of that outside of maybe Ron Rivera and a couple other coaches around the league. Mike Tomlin comes to mind, but he's in that conversation of particularly new age coaches that utilize analytics heavily. And he didn't do it because he knew this isn't a shootout. It's not going to be a shootout. You seen what they're operating with? It brought Nick Foles back out of cardiac arrest. Like it, 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 and and so help me. If they've switched to Sam Ellinger, and I know we're going to get to that at some point. Fine. Like, I'm not going to be mad about it, but if Jeff Saturday gets in front of a microphone, looks right in the lens and says, Sam Ellinger gives us the best chance to win, I'm going to lose my mind.
2: Well, it will happen because,
0: because no, he doesn't. You just don't have any other options. You can't bring Matt Ryan back again because you've like, say what you will about a veteran like that. If I'm Matt Ryan, I'm, I'm a little irritated by all this. Because it started off the season, and he's not because he's a professional. The way Matt Ryan carries himself, he he probably is probably just me entering fan territory. He probably doesn't actually feel this way. But if I am Matt Ryan, you benched me once because I was hurt, but presented it as I was done for the year. Then a new coach comes in and he's like, oh, I believe in Matt Ryan. I see Matt Ryan
2: as a as a savior Is of Matt this Ryan, franchise. Dent?
0: Th- thank you for that. I was hoping you be. Yeah, I believe in Matt Ryan. Yeah, exactly.
2: That, that he was campaigning well, for him and got yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Harvey Dent just got burned by the oil. Matt yes, Ryan's yes, on the sideline. Yes, he's yes. gonna wake up and go on a rampage because he's been benched yet again for a guy that's supposed to give you a better chance that's, to win, uh, Jimmy. That's what I was trying to say all week. It, it, there was. All respect to Nick Foles, what he did. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He's got a ring. He's got a statue. Guy's never going to have to buy a beer again in the city of Philadelphia. Unfortunately, he can only play football when he's wearing green. And that's dark green, not Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> green. It's over for Foles. Remember when we brought up yesterday, could Foles cement in these three weeks? He's the best backup in the NFL. Sorry, Nick. It's over. We watched Nick Foles' career end last night. Game over. I could care less that he's in an offense without Jonathan Taylor. I could care less that every single offensive lineman, specifically the ones that have been paid multi-millions of dollars, are a turnstile. It's over. And Sam Ellinger, why I was vouching for Ellinger all week long, there's at least a bit of an unknown there because he was barely given the free shot. He nearly beat the Commanders, which is not anything to brag about, but it was his first NFL start. He got barreled by the Patriots and Mr. Belichick in the game that your coach got fired. And here's the last thing I'll say before I turn it over to you, Jimmy, because I'm sure you have an Ellinger comment. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Saturday has repeatedly said, when asked about the playbook, when asked about the decision making, they're short offensive coaches. He's had that soundbite a lot. He's like, we're working with who we're working with here. Well, you know why that is? Because Frank Reich made Marcus Brady the scapegoat. First, they fired him. And then Frank Reich. That became, might not be fully on Frank, but just to clarify that, because I, I, I'm i in the camp that I think the coach, whoever, it was, whoever, it was, they whoever got it. it was, the point remains, Marcus Brady to... became the scapegoat. Sure. Then Frank Reich yes. became the scapegoat. Yes. And then you give a 31 year old dude with zero play calling experience, the reins, which may be a great experience for him. But you know what? When he goes back to interviews years from now, maybe even next year, if he's out of a job, people are going to bring up this crap saying you were on Monday Night Football twice. You couldn't convert a third down twice in a season. This guy's going to have to go back to kindergarten when it comes to coaching. Unfortunate for Parks Frazier because he's a young guy. But Saturday has repeatedly said we're short offensive coaching staff and we're sticking with what we're sticking with. Jimmy, this is not a fast food restaurant on Christmas where you have two people working. You're an NFL franchise. You could go out and hire coaches. There are free agent coaches available. Why don't you go out and hire somebody to, hi- to help people, specifically two coaches, that have zero coaching experience? Zero play calling. They're... It's acting like hiring an assistant coach in the NFL is like Indiana Jones trying to find jewelry in a temple. You can bring on people to help, Jimmy.
3: All right, Jake Query. Settle down over there.
2: <laughs> no, it, it's serious. They
0: So it, at this point, though, that boat is sailed. Your opportunity to do that, and and, and it's the idea of, of re-putting together a staff midseason... It is the NFL, but you don't have to revitalize it. You can right, bring on a but, couple guys. That's what I'm saying, though. I, I don't know what the pool would have been like at that point. I'm not saying you couldn't have done it. I just I can't give you a proper answer there because I wasn't looking at who is sitting at home right now that could fill in sure. in that void. But that's definitely possible. Now we're at the point though of the season and we were, you could argue after the Minnesota game where it, it, it really it really doesn't matter anymore. Like that those are missed opportunities. Oh, I meant before the Vegas right, game. Right? Okay. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once that happened, you, 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 <laughs> you still had you still had playoff contention alive, and you still had opportunities to kind of fine tune this thing. Maybe BK, maybe after that Raiders game, they felt like hey, we're good. We got to win. No, I'm serious. Maybe they thought, hey, we, we can do this. I, I'm just I'm laughing staff. at you. I'm just we, laughing at we, the thought. I of mean, we're good. <laughs> well, no, because like you, you get in there. It, you've been criticized all week, all week since you've been named interim head coach. And you go out there and you beat the Raiders, who for a while were viewed as a playoff team. You get that win, you're like, okay, let's ride this out. Maybe we're fine. Problem was, you didn't have a ton of margin for error. And you lose five straight, and now here we are. The offense looks worse. The players look like they've either A, given up, or B, are are broken by this whole process. And either way, that is a failure on both the coaching staff And I know we're going to get into this in the two o'clock hour. We'll probably talk about it as well with our guests today. But it's a failure on how this team was put together as well. And that is why, and our friend Kevin Bowen of Kevin and Query mentioned this on 107.5thefan.com today after his five takeaways from the game, there was a piece that aired last night on Monday Night Countdown, or or Monday Night Football's Countdown to kickoff, and it was Jim Irsay in a sit-down conversation, and he said that Chris Ballard is our GM. Implying and stating he's going to be our GM for 2023. You and I have debated that the last two weeks of, is he the right guy? Should they be going in a different direction? Are they really willing to give him another year? I don't know that the performances... Because that's after, uh, to my knowledge, I need to double-check that, but I believe that conversation was after the Minnesota game. That was like this week that, that was this happened. week,
3: correct. And
0: he's had time now to process the Minnesota collapse and process the collapse against Dallas. These last three weeks for Chris Boward, based on what Jim Irsay is saying publicly, his job is safe. And that's something that Colts fans need to seriously grapple with. It's very spooky. Saturday... I, I think I think it's gone. Like I, I, I maybe he gives him a uh, hey, you've been an incredible ambassador for this team in terms of your career. you Ring of Honor candidate. You're you're one of the most well known Colts of all time. We'll give you an interview, but we're not going in that direction. Maybe that happens. But the Saturday experiment is done in my mind. Boward, based on just face value of Jim Mersey's comments, I don't see how anything happens these final two games changes his outlook on, I trust Ballard with this team one more year, based let, on what he's saying.
3: Let me toss this question up for you guys. You can, uh, you can either answer this now, or we can get into it a little bit later. He says that Ballard is back, and he does bring Ballard back, but here's the caveat that Jim Irsay says to Ballard. You're only back if you completely gut this team and essentially restart from the bottom up all over again, but a different groundwork of how you built it. You buy that or no? Well, he would
0: never. I don't. I don't think Ballard would, because I think he still stands by the, cause that. Because that. Because then you're having to. He could never change, the way that he does things. He's too bullheaded. And you're having to admit that every draft pick that you made in the past was wrong. Building from the inside out was wrong. If you're having to gut everything, which by the way, that's not easy to do. Like, I understand that I really do like Quentin Nelson as a player, but the way that contract is built out, I'm not. I don't care if he if he is a generational talent at guard. I'm not. I'm not trading for him. So I don't know. I don't know how you would gut it. Like there's, you can gut pieces of it, but there's parts you're stuck with because of yep. how Ballard has built this team.
3: I'm sure somebody would be willing to take Quentin Nelson.
0: Maybe, but but I'm just saying that contract is
2: it, it, it's pricey. It's pricey for a position that is often not viewed as a premium spot. Correct. S- somebody would be willing to take him, but they're not going to pay the generational guard price.
3: Yeah, the return on would not would not be what it was two yeah. years ago. Yeah, or even last year. Or
2: even last year. So same case with Shaq Leonard. The, the return for him. That's the biggest question mark of it all. Oh, I mean, the guy is getting paid millions of dollars to not play football. It, it, God bless well, him. God bless him for his injuries. I hope he fully recovers because that's that's not even a sports concern injury-wise. That's a life concern. I right. hope he's all right. But look, this is a multi-million, almost billion-dollar regime. P- probably multi-billion-dollar regime. I know we got a break. I want to add one more thing on Ballard real quick if I was him
0: to Eddie's question, I would need a guarantee of another, like if I'm him, not saying Colts fans, if I am him, I would need a guarantee of another year or two of job security. If I'm rebuilding it, because if you're blowing it all up to be a general manager in the NFL, is only 32 of these jobs, right? So you, you value that as much as you can and Hey, it it pays well. So you don't want to give that up, but I would need a guarantee. This isn't a one year experiment. If I'm going to, destroy what I've tried to build.
2: Which you should by the way, cuz it's awful. I wish those types of guarantees existed. They don't. In a league such as the NFL? They, don't. they do not. But that will never happen. Chris Ballard is still the GM of the Colts. The Colts still can't convert a third down. The Colts have lost 5 in a row. Two to go, New Year's Day against the Giants, then back here for what's going to be a riveting game between the Texans and the Colts that somehow has a chance to be flexed to the 4 o'clock window. Please, God, no. NFL, don't do that to us. We are going to get to the Indiana Pacers next. Eddie Gill, you, you here on Bally Sports Indiana, as well as right here on uh, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers Radio Network with Mark Boyle. Eddie will jump on. Eddie is behind the ones and twos. I'm BK. Jay Cook is here. Coming back next, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
0: Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King... Coming to you from the DriveHuber.com studios, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. It wasn't just a sad night for Colts fans, but Pacers fans as well as the Pacers last night, despite a short-handed Pelicans roster, fall one thirteen to ninety three on the road at Smoothie King Center. Our next guest was on the ground at Smoothie King Center in New Orleans. It's one Eddie Gill, the Pacers Radio Network. Eddie, appreciate you making time for us as always, good sir. And when you look at last night's matchup, things went flat from the start. Uh, What were your biggest takeaways from how the Pacers, we've seen it against the Nets now once and now against the Pelicans when the other team's shorthanded for whatever reason, things get tough for them.
4: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, thanks, thank you guys for having me. Um, definitely actually got off to a, a decent start of the game, and then um, I think it was a timeout called, and then uh, the Pelicans came out and just obviously took control of the game. Um, you know, it's something to be said about that team as well um, it's, it's you know, a lot of times you always look at, hey, well, what did we did wrong, do wrong and some of those types of things, and you definitely want to address those, improve those, make some progress. But sometimes you got to give the other team credit, uh, even though they're down, uh, their best players, a couple of their best players, that team has been down those guys uh, for quite a bit of this season, and they have, a, I believe, 21 and 12 record. Uh, Brandon Ingrams missed 17 games. Zion Williamson missed eight games as well. So uh, they have a, a good team and well-coached team, uh, but the Pacers did come out a little bit flat and just were unable to, to establish any sort of rhythm on either end of the floor.
2: Hey, Eddie, it's Brendan. Back-to-back tonight. Hawks come into town at 7.30, and Atlanta really is the team that the Pacers are right tied with for seventh in that play-in section of the Eastern Conference. So uh, what kind of battle test should we expect to see from the Pacers tonight? Because I would imagine they're going to come out with a little bit more juice after being a little flat last night. How big is tonight for them?
4: I think it's huge. I think it's a a great night to to have a back-to-back on, right? You know, underwhelming performance last night, uh, but you're able to come back home, play in front of the home crowd, uh, should be big and exciting crowd obviously with the holiday season and uh, be able to get a bounce back win uh, or at least there's, you have the opportunity for it to get that done it won't be easy obviously this team led by Trey Young uh, you know one of the best young point guards in the game he's a he's a handful in the pick and roll situation unlimited range um, so a good team and, and a well coached team is you know former coach and Nate McMillan um, he's had success down, down there with that team at the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years ago so it should be a fun game to watch
0: Eddie, we've looked at the top contenders in the East as a measuring stick for where this young Pacers team is at, and there were you know, concerns or criticisms early on that, okay, maybe it was a, a, a softer schedule or an easy schedule, but hey, you take advantage of what's in front of you. This road trip, still rather impressive, though, despite the loss to New Orleans. You get wins over two uh, Eastern Conference contenders in terms of being in the finals this year in Miami and Boston. When you round out that whole road trip, obviously it's hard to fully put a cap on this stretch since there's still one game to go. But how'd you feel in terms of them navigating against two of the top teams in the East before battling New Orleans?
4: Yeah, I think you got to be happy with the overall, uh, you know, two-on-one record in those three games. Um, obviously, if you get the first two, you, you start licking your chops and <laughs> you can get three of those. Um but yeah, I mean, Boston has been a, a top two or three team in the entire league throughout the throughout the season. Uh, Miami hasn't played up to their potential as of yet, but they're always a really tough team. Um, and you go on the road and get both of those wins, so you feel really, really good about yourself. Um, so overall, I think you know it's, it's positive, and you, and you see what you're capable of. You see the potential, and then now it's just going out night after night, uh, living up to those those uh, kind of updated expectations that you may have for yourself.
2: Eddie, you're a guy that played for a long time. The growth that we continue to see out of Tyrese Halliburton, I mean, between Boston and Miami, guy dropped 76 points, and I realized there may have been some outside factors of motivation and whatnot. A lot of people were talking on that weekend, um, whether that was positive or negative, but I feel like Halliburton just locked in. Uh, from the time he got here, Eddie, to now, Has what kind of leap have you seen him take already in his young Pacers career?
4: I mean, there's a, a dramatic leap he's taken. Uh, you can attribute that a lot to, you know, added responsibility, added expectation, and, and bigger than any of that is a added opportunity. You know, when you think about him being with Sacramento Kings, not only was he a younger player in his rookie year, uh, but he's also sharing the basketball with De'Aaron Fox, who's a, a tremendous young point guard in his own right. So when, you, when you, um, you don't have another guy that you're necessarily sharing the basketball with and you're looked at as the – Number one playmaker for the team, you know that there's something to be said about the confidence that that grows within you. He's encouraged, you know, tremendously by his, his teammates, his coaching staff, and they've done a great job of, of, you know, playing a style that that really fits his game. And that's something fast paced, uh, free to some degree. He's a good decision maker, so you trust him. And um, you know, with all those, you know, all those factors mean thrown in the pot you, you've you've seen a guy who's really taken it dramatically
0: eddie there's going to be some nights where from beyond the arc it's just not falling for you pacers uh outside of buddy Heel, nine of 35 from beyond the arc last night uh, in terms of where this offense needs to continue to grow where can they find avenues for success when shots aren't falling from downtown
4: yeah well they've clearly have committed to the three ball which you know which they which they should and and have had some success with because you have more than capable shooters on the team right uh but but I think Rick Carlisle mentioned it early on, really early on in the season, and i I believe it wholeheartedly uh you have to hang your hat on your defensive end because th- there's gonna be nights when those shots don't fall um there's a thing called a scouting report, and teams know that that's what you want to do, so they try to make those shots a little bit more difficult. As you play the better teams, uh, they'll make them even even more difficult. So now how do you combat that? And that's being able to play good defense, uh, get out in transition, and attack the paint, Uh, do a nice job of trying to get around the rim, see if you can get some shots there, uh, earn some trips to the free throw line, and that kind of thing if you don't have the three ball going. so um, First and foremost is what you're able to do on the defensive end to keep you in the game until those shots start falling.
2: Eddie, you mentioned Rick, and – Early on in the season, Ben Matherin was saying that he has encouraged Rick Carlisle to coach him harder and point out some of the flaws in his game. I remember Tyrese Halliburton talked about that on an entire plane ride home. Rick was watching tape with Tyrese, and that's all they did on, on the trip home. So the approach that Rick has taken with coaching up these young players, first of all, how impressed have you been with kind of that div- diversity and how he has been able to coach different individuals? And of course, that's what a championship coach, I'm sure, brings to the the table.
4: Yeah, I'm incredibly impressed um, because I, I played for Rick Carlisle, uh, you know, 16, 17 years ago, um, whatever it was, and, and his style then has adjusted to to now, right, in a dramatic way. And I think uh, in order to improve and evolve as an individual and as a coach, you, you know, you have to do that. And he's been willing uh, to make that adjustment to this younger uh, group that's kinda come into the league now and, and I I've seen they gravitate towards his his style and he's done the same to to theirs. Um and when you mentioned Benedict and I think you gotta give him a lot of credit as well being vocal about hey coach me hard, I wanna learn, I wanna you know make some progress and some some growth and you know expedite that learning curve. So um I think they have a really good group overall and, and Rick Carlisle has done a nice job of of adjusting to the the kind of the new age player.
0: Eddie, to kind of build off of Brandon's question, you played in the league, you know what the grind is all about. He stressed last night, and you can tell the frustration because of the championship pedigree that he comes from and because of the standard that he holds, where if there's one thing you can control, it's effort. And for the most part this season, it's been there, but but it's tough over the slog of the 82-game season to continue that night overnight overnight. How, how do you manufacture that as a player going through the grind and try to stay focus within it to, to not let your energy effort dip. That's kind of happened to the Pacers at times this season.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a mental approach. A lot of times the mental approach is far greater than the, than the physical because uh, I think if you have the mental piece, then the physical piece just comes along with it. Um, but to your point, yeah, 82 games, you're playing about four games a week. And right now they're in a stretch where they're going to play about every other day for a month or so. And, and being able to bring it every single night is, is definitely a challenge. Um, but we've seen the teams that do have that type of mental fortitude, their success there. It's just undoubted. It's something that's, uh, that happens for them o- over that span of time. But it's just um, taking care of your body, you know when you, when you do have some downtime and then and, and taking care of your mental when you do have that downtime and then being able to get out there uh, w- when the popcorn starts popping and, and you're ready to go. But um, it, it's definitely a challenge. but again, I think the, you, you see it, the, the great teams, they just find a way. They have good veteran leadership, uh, which I think you know. There's a couple pieces for the for the Pacers where they do have that veteran leadership uh, mixed in with some good young talent.
2: Eddie Gill is joining us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop Eddie, the Pacers already turning heads this season. Seventeen wins when I think they were only slated, at least per the sports books to have 23 or 24. So they're clearly doing good work. And quickly, the conversation of playoffs have come up with this team. Whether or not they make the playoffs, there's a long, long way to go. But you're a guy, Eddie, that played in the playoffs with this team. And I was just looking at the roster just by curiosity earlier to see the guys that have played in the postseason that are on this team t.j mcconnell miles turner james johnson uh aaron neesmith has played in the postseason buddy healed is not tyrese halliburton is not so this long-winded question comes down to this as a player eddie when you go to the postseason for the first time what do you immediately learn
4: it's a new season and the intensity gets to another level um you know you see pretty quickly um that guys are playing to, to, you know, to go on. They're playing for a championship. And some of those games uh, have a feel like that throughout the 82-game season. You'll play a handful of those games through the season in which, like, you're like, wow, this is a playoff atmosphere with the crowd, the intensity of the game, how hard both teams are playing. Um, You know, the officiating may alter just a little bit uh, when you get into that environment. Um, But overall, I think it's the intensity that's played with the physical play and, um, you know, you don't see guys taking plays off at all um, in the playoffs, not championship-caliber teams for sure. Um, so that's that's the biggest adjustment in being able to play that way for 48 minutes and, and in some cases 53.
5: Eddie,
0: your broadcast partner, Mark Boyle, always likes to reserve judgment on where this team can go or his evaluation on the team until we get to about this portion of the season, sometimes a little bit later Uh, Again, to build off of Brandon's question a little bit, having played in the league and understanding the grind of it and understanding what it takes to be a playoff team, has there been anything that jumps out to you through this first third of the season that makes you feel like this is a team that that can get into the postseason this year?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, they, I mean, they're incredibly tough to, to guard, right, with their pace of play, uh, make or miss. You you see Tyrese Saliburton encouraging his teammates to get that basketball out and, and you know, and inbound if they can get the basketball off the floor and try to get something early. Um, you know, they, this team wants to stay out of set offensive plays and playing against a set defense uh, because, that's you know, that's where they're able to thrive in that transition-type style that's hard to cover. Um, and they have guys who can shoot it. They've shown... Um, some, some improvement defensively. Obviously, I think that that's the, the biggest component. They've shown that they're capable at times uh, to play solid defense and rebound the basketball. That's something that's super important when you're talking about being a playoff team and a, a team that could potentially advance. Um, but you're right. You know, you, you start the season, there's one set of expectations. And then as you get, you know, about a third of the way in, about 25 games is, is the mark that I typically look at. Anywhere from between 25 to 30 games, you start to see who you are and kind of have a vision of what you could be, Uh, and and this team now has all of a sudden uh, turned into a a playoff-type team.
0: Well, it's going to be very intriguing to see how it continues to shape out through the final two-thirds of the season. Obviously, it continues tonight against Atlanta. Eddie, I know the grind is as real for the broadcasters as it is for the players in terms of travel, so I know that your schedule is always crazy, so we always appreciate you making time for us, and good to talk to you as always.
4: Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, Love to jump on again anytime. Appreciate it, Eddie. Thank you, guys.
0: That is Eddie Gill. Always appreciate him making some time for us of the Pacers Radio Network. You can give Eddie Gill a follow at Eddie underscore Gill four. And I'll be back in action. The Pacers will, as well as Mark and Eddie, this evening. It's a 7.30 tip between the Pacers and the Hawks. Coverage gets started 7 o'clock, right here on 93.5, 107.5. The Fan, Mark Boyle, Eddie Gill, Pat Boylan, Eddie White. Am I disparaging anybody?
3: No, I just got to say, I wonder how Mark feels having to work with three Eddies on home games because he works with myself, Eddie Gill, and Eddie White. It's just Well, too I would Eddies. argue
2: that makes it easier.
3: Well, not when you address one Eddie, we all go, what? <laughs>
2: well, it, just in terms of not forgetting your partner's name.
3: I guess that's true. I would
2: also argue
0: not that the seasoned veteran and Mark Boyle needs it, but a lot of play-by-play is memory being able to quickly point out something about a player that makes you remember the name. For some broadcasters, that's how they do it. With three Eddies, you're already having to balance that to begin with, so... That's what I said, if man. Anything,
1: you guys it's just should,
2: mental gymnastics. You guys should trademark it. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Old school. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Uh, something tells me there might be a trademark still floating around from, uh, from Warner Brothers about uh, that particular name. <laughs> no. <setting. laughs> no. We'll buy it. He's Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison's got us behind the board. Top of the hour. Joel Erickson going to join us. Give us his reaction and thoughts from the Colts lost the Chargers that punches the ticket for... Los Angeles for the first time in Justin Herbert's tenure as an NFL quarterback. Bottom of next hour, Charlie Clifford going to join us. Your phone calls at 2 o'clock if you would like to react to the Pacers loss last night. Any thoughts on Pacers Hawk this, Hawks this evening or reaction to the Colts' dismal performance against the Chargers? They fall 20-3 to three yesterday at Lucas Oil Stadium. When we come back though we'll share another team that might be able to clinch a playoff spot and they can do it in a similar fashion to how the Chargers did it last night. Brendan King and Jimmy Cook here on the Fan
2: Midday Show, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Thank you to Eddie Gill for hopping on. On the hotline brought to you by The Mower Shop in Fishers and the mowershop.com I'm Brendan King. Jimmy Cook is here. Eddie Garrison around the horn. Colts lose to the Chargers. to Chargers are going to the playoffs. James, you went to break with a tease that the Colts can have champagne popped in the opposite locker room for potentially a second straight week.
0: Yeah, it's got to be a a beautiful feeling, right? Uh, Having the home team or having the road team uh, pop some champagne in the opposing locker room. I've been there. It's not fun. It's not It's not a fun experience for anybody involved. And for the Colts, as BK mentioned, as we teased there, another team can be able to do it. No, it's not. Believe it or not, it's not the Texans in two weeks. Uh, believe it or not. It's the, the Giants. The comeback of the century. It's the Giants. The Giants win, and they are in. So potential for back-to-back dance
2: parties at Lucas Oil Stadium. I will in the say, locker room. I've been on both sides of that coin I have had an away team pop champagne at my home field, which is not fun because you're leaving the ballpark and you can hear just music blasting as you're walking to the parking lot from the opposite locker room. But I have been on the other side of that coin because both championships we have won in South Bend have been on the road, and we have just destroyed some clubhouses. So it is fun. Good for the Chargers last night. I hope they celebrated well. Uh, Did you see the Bills were snowed in on Saturday night? in Chicago I did see that. Yep. and Josh Allen entered just this random Chicago bar started buying everybody shots? I, I did. <laughs> oh, let's go. Did you see that? I, no. did, I did. Yeah, see that. the bills went to this random bar, I believe it was
0: in River North. I think it was so I cuz I've been to that bar once because I we were in Chicago for Yankees White Sox. I believe they were at the Barstool Sports Bar. That was okay. Um that's there on in River
2: North. Um that's just awesome. That's, that's awesome. But uh, imagine you and your boys are just out for a round. Right. And you look behind you and you start hearing some applause. It's Josh Allen, ready to put the credit card on the table. Buy everybody beers. That's legendary. I, I remember when the Blackhawks were going on their Stanley Cup runs when I was a kid and then into my freshman year of college. um, 2010, when they won their first cup, they... The like assistant athletic trainer for the Hawks brought the cup to my hometown. Ooh. It was just at a random bar, and they get off the bus, and there are thousands of people in this small parking lot, and they lift up the cup. They bring it in. I'm no older than 14 years old, and like beers are flowing. I didn't get my ID checked. I'm in here. I'm touching the cup. So those celebrations are quite a lot of fun. The Chargers are going to the playoffs, and now Danny Dimes, Jimmy, can potentially... Get the Giants in the postseason in New Jersey. A
0: doormat to the playoffs. Nothing
2: like that type of ending to your season. Yeah, That'd how about nice. two teams clinching against you? And then you got to play the Texans to close out the year in what will be the stinker of all stinkers here in the National Football League this, this year. With every loss, the Colts maybe creep closer to Bryce Young. That's at least my dream We'll see what the boys think about that a little bit later. For now, guests coming up for the next half hour or so. Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star with us next. Charlie Clifford from Wish TV will be on with us at one thirty. Your phone calls after that one thirty slot. We would love to hear from you after Cliff joins us here on The Fan. DJ Eddie. I think Eddie should start getting a bonus. <laughs> A New Year's bonus. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat for him. For for every song that gets the people going, Eddie gets an extra grand. Make yeah. it happen. Man. I like that. He's BK, a, BK dude, set the bar he's, high. He's shopping for an so engagement. So ultimately, Ray. there's a
0: counter offer that can happen <laughs> it means somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> 2023
2: is your year, Eddie. It's
0: a, it's a heady play there by Brendan King. That is BK. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison, aforementioned, there are behind the ones and twos. And. Joel Erickson was at Lucas Oil last night, joining us now via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop and Fishers and theMotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power mowers, parts, equipment, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered. He is a Colts insider for the Indy Star, as well as an analyst on Fox 59 and CBS 4. Joel, a season that continues to look for a bottom, and every week we think they've hit it. They trot out. Another quarterback that, as you kind of alluded to on Twitter, sounds like the exact same quarterback they trotted out the week before with just worse and worse results. Uh, I know that's a glowing intro for you to build off of, but quite frankly, was it very glowing last night, was it?
6: No, I mean, the, the, that was sort of the game. They, they they managed to make it interesting the previous two games by, I mean, they still lost in, in historic fashion, but at least that was... Um, I think entertaining last, last night wasn't really an entertaining game. Last night was a slog. Uh, even, even from the, the Chargers standpoint, it was a slog. And, and a lot of that has to do with the, a Colts defense that it, it should be said is, has been, um, tasked with winning games by itself, but has been pretty good most of the season. But, but yeah, it, it last night was a slog. It was tough to draw. It's tough to draw any long-term conclusions out of anything we're seeing here. Uh, in these last three games, I think, uh, you know, because obviously, you know, Nick Foles probably isn't or Nick Foles isn't going to be the quarterback for this team going forward. Um, it's it's just there's just not a lot to draw out of it. It's it's sort of a a what what gets us to j- January 9th where things start happening that actually could, could change the fortunes of this franchise.
2: Joel, it's Brendan. You probably could have whispered to me in the press box from you were just sitting right above me last night late in the third quarter and I would have heard you with the way things were going for the Colts. Uh, where, for you, was the game lost most last night? Was there a particular moment that you thought the Colts kind of got out of it?
6: Uh, the, the, the To me, the big chance to get back in it was Buckner and Odango, uh, Strip Sack, Herbert, and the Colts take over on the Chargers 21 and it's 13 to 3 and if you score there if you score and it becomes 13 to 10 uh you you got a real shot i think in that game that that was the last best chance they had to have a shot in that game when when they got nothing out of that then it was pretty much done
0: Joel, for the Colts and all their efforts on the defensive end, I know you highlighted the number of sacks they've had this year, and not just the defensive line, but just the team as a whole. Uh, I believe you had it; it's the most since 2005 in terms of total sacks for a team, 43 on the season. It, how much of, at least in the in the short term, as we try to slog through these final two weeks of the season, is to your point, how good this defense has been? How much of that is going to get lost? in one of the worst offensive stretches maybe not in the entire history of the Colts but at least post 2000 one of the worst campaigns or worst three week stretches we've seen
6: oh i think i think it's going to be completely lost in it i mean it's it and it should be because of, you know the, the defense hasn't been able to to lift the the record above right of anything else, but, but they, they also, the task they were given is impossible, but yeah, I, I mean, there's been good seasons from a lot of these defensive players, you know, uh, when Rodney Thomas picked off that pass, uh, I was, I was mentioning in the press box last night, like in a different season, Rodney Thomas is one heck of a story. A seventh round rookie out of Yale comes in and, and makes three picks and looks like a starting free safety in the NFL in a different season. That's a good story. Um, Zaire Franklin's uh, ascension to a, a, uh, a really good linebacker in this league, after being a special teamer for most of his career, that's a really good story. Dio um, Dangbo here coming on here at the end, and some of the flashes you've seen for, for Quiddy Pay that that could be big for this team going forward. Um, but none of it none of it really matters, and no one's really paying attention to it uh, outside those of us who cover the Colts a lot because because of what's going on with the offense, because they've been so bad. So. Yeah, I do think the defensive, defensive stuff is getting lost. I mean, DeForest Buckner, I think, has been fantastic this season as the leader of the defense, probably the best player on the team. And and it's, it's just gotten lost.
0: This is obviously tough for you to analyze because it, it, when they bring in a new head coach, they might want to go a different direction. They might want to bring in their own staff like coaches often do. How much of this... I don't know if you want to call it transformation, but how much of this performance of the defense has been what Gus Bradley has brought to the table?
6: Well, I I think with the sacks in particular, um, you know, Gus Bradley brought in and wanted to bring in the the attack front that Robert Sala uses. Sala, um, you know, kind of thinks of Bradley as his mentor and and they're very close. And That's what he wanted to bring in. That's why he hired Nate Ali. I think that that's, clearly paid dividends in the pass rush for this Colts team. So he, he does deserve a lot of credit. I think the other thing he deserves a lot of credit for is just how much he's mixed stuff up, stuff up, how many, how many different things he's run. You know, he's sort of kind of pigeonholed as this Seattle Hawk three guy. Um, it hasn't been that way for a while, but that's just, when once you're labeled something, it kind of follows you around. I think Bradley's been, been very good, but I, I mean, he was good. It was with the Raiders last year too. And when they changed head coaches, uh, he ended up moving on. So I think that that's, that's what I'm thinking is is when whenever the head coach changes, they, they want to bring their own guy in, and usually it ends up being somebody different than the current coordinator regardless of how how well they're doing.
2: Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the hotline brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and the TheMowerShop.com. Joel, to Saturday's postgame presser, surprising or no that he had no thoughts of going to Ellinger at any point in that game?
6: Yeah, a little surprised. I mean, that was, a, that was a really bad start from Nick Foles. I, I like, I, we kind of should have seen it coming. You know, I kind of said on on uh, Fox 59 and CBS 4 last week that, you know, but, but Foles has been at his best in the NFL when, when people have tailored their offenses to what he does best and kind of, you know, given him a chance to do, do the things he does really well. This Colts offense isn't really doing that for anybody right now. Um, they're very simple and they're not really changing around. So I think we, we probably could have seen this coming in, but yeah, I, I think I think I don't necessarily know that think that the I don't think that, the, that a move to Sam Ellinger necessarily fixes this offense. I just keep thinking uh, of of the three guys. Ellinger is the one at the beginning of his career. The other guys are at the end, and so in a year that is not a playoff year, very clearly. Headed towards the bottom, I you know, I think the argument for Ellinger is play the play the uh, guy who's gonna get the most out of the playing time. And I think for a young guy that would be the case.
2: Well, Joel, for the second time this year, as you talked about with Foles struggling, I mean, they did not convert a third down. So I don't know how you realistically, right, can go back to Foles and call yourself serious and as Saturday alludes to. I mean, he's trying to win football games. That's his job, whether or not the fan base likes that statement. So you can't go back to Foles and then it would be the third time this year that they go to the well to revive Matt Ryan. So really, Ellinger is your final only option, right, or no?
6: Well, I guess I, Saturday would probably say that the, the the previous time that they didn't convert any third downs, Ellinger was a quarterback. So um, he, can, he can make the case that Ellinger doesn't make the offense. And I think it's probably the right case that it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is the last two times it's been a quarterback up to Matt Ryan. Uh, the Colts haven't converted a third down. Um, they, I, I was surprised a little bit too, at the game plan last night. Uh, I didn't understand. They came out throwing it and threw it early and often against a, a chargers run defense. That has been a bottom five run defense. And, and, and on top of that, the Colts run game looked good. Um, you know, there've been other games where they, they tried to pound it since Saturday took over and kept trying to pound it even when it wasn't working. And this wasn't one of those games. This was a game where every time they ran it, they were ripping off chunks of yardage. I, I didn't understand why they didn't shift philosophies there. I, I'm not I'm not a run-the-damn-ball guy at any cost, but when it's working, stick with it. Joel
0: Erickson taking some time with us today on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline and the com Colts Insider for the Indianapolis Star. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joel A. Erickson. Joel, the debate continues to rage on and maybe depending on which side of it you're on, it's been concluded which is, is this team any better than they were underneath Frank Reich and the numbers, I mean they kind of speak for themselves if you take away the the points the defensive teams have put up it's about 17 points per game uh, in Jeff Saturday's tenure right now, Reich is about 14 points a game, so a, a modest if that improvement there yards per game are about the same and maybe it's a combination of the playoffs are hopes are dead and there's not a ton to play for other than pride and job security for the future, but it doesn't seem like energy level that has gone anywhere. It, there wasn't the type of spark that Jim say expected. Is there any scenario outside of a courtesy that, that he's a legitimate candidate for this head coaching job uh, based on what you've heard and, and obviously taken into account prior to last night's loss, Jim or say's comments uh, in that Monday night football interview.
6: Well that's that's the scenario. The scenario is that Ursay is convinced that that Saturday um has something and and wants to tap into it. That's that's the scenario, um, realistic scenario. Because I mean ultimately, even with the number, they're they're one in five. Right. Okay? They're worse they're worse record wise. They they've been outscored um ninety to nine, I believe, in the fourth quarter since he took over. You know, the the if if Reich was fired for um, the way they were playing, they've been worse than that since then, just from a record standpoint. So, uh, it's hard to make the case from a, from a football standpoint for me. Like I said, I, I think it. I think it comes down to to what you said. If Jim Ursay believes he's a candidate, he'll be a candidate because Irsay is the only person that that really matters when it comes to this coaching search.
2: Joel, at the start of this year, do you think Irsay or really anybody in that regime would have believed that we're talking on? December twenty seventh, and the Colts have the least amount of AFC South wins in the division out of everybody.
6: No, I, no, I, I don't. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, you know, the, the, all, everything in the offseason was sort of talk about how they they'd stabilized it enough. Uh, they the, 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 the quarterback change was going to stabilize it. They had a good roster. Um, they, they felt like that was going. That the roster was going to be able to get the most out of Matt Ryan. Basically, all of that's gone wrong. So I, I don't think that I don't think that that's anything that that anyone could have seen. Joel,
0: sticking with the potential moves this off season, and again, I, I understand it's fool's gold. But when he, whenever he's going to make himself available to the media or have a sit down interview like that, you have to at least probe the issue. He seems pretty set. Does Jim say that Chris bowers is going to be the GM? next year is that the the pulse and the vibe you're getting and, and is there any do these last games matter like if he's going on this is that interview happened after the minnesota game if he's going on national television and saying chris Ballard is our gm i know he's the owner he could do whatever he wants on a whim so it's his team but it, it is that the feel that that his word is oak right now regardless of how these final three games go
6: well, I mean, obviously, you know, people would point out that he, you know, he said Ryan was going to be here for four right. years, up to seven games, uh, said Reich was safe, and then and then fired him. But this this is this has been pretty consistent. He said it three or four times since they fired Reich that that Ballard, that he wants Ballard back and Ballard's going to be here in twenty twenty three, um, and and you know, the idea that you can't put stock into in in, in what he says like I think you take it with a grain of salt given some of the decisions that have been made but he's also the only decision maker for the team so when he speaks you have to pay attention to it um and so yeah I I think that's that's my expectation based on what he said but um it's it's also fair to note that he said other things that haven't gone that way this season
2: would it be fair Joel because who knows what happens years from now? Let's say hypothetically that it is Ballard making the draft pick this spring. And if things don't go your way again next year, you could find yourself in even more of a heap of trouble because if it's Ballard deciding what to do with this year's draft and then things stay the same, Ursay could just find himself in a worse spot, no?
6: Well, I think if you stick with the GM... um you're sort of sticking with him through the next head coach, really, because the the arranged marriages where one person stays and somebody else comes in those don't those don't usually seem to work. And they're they're going to have a new head coach, I guess. If it's if it's Jeff Saturday and they're bad again next year with with him and Chris Ballard, then maybe you can clean house. But if they go out and hire somebody um, and, and he's paired with Chris Ballard, I think you have to let that combination see it through together because if you if you don't you 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 then have a head coach that you're hiring a gm for the gm most gms would like to would like to hire their head coach uh it it just it's just not going to work so i think that's part of this is if if they're going to keep him um ultimately that means that whatever happens with the next coach Ballard's probably around for all of that
0: joel players are i I don't want to say trained but but they're so uh well coached and well carried, with with PR ingrained in them from the college ranks onward. Of, of you know, not giving extra motivation or or not bashing you know a teammate or anything like that. Sometimes it happens, but but it's 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 very rare in today's NFL because of how just well that that aspect of players' lives have been established. And that's great, you know, right? I mean, there's not a lot of controversy. Your locker room's going to be healthy. That's great, but at the same time, you lose honesty. Sometimes with bland, generic answers, I know that you know you and uh, your fellow Colts insider over at the Star and Nate Atkins have, have been on this beat all season, have been and following the different storylines. But as you look at the fact that they've gone through now three different quarterbacks this year, uh, they, they've gone through a number of different offensive coordinators. It, is there frustration? Does this team feel different from a player by player basis in those interactions post game? Than they have say before Reich was let go.
6: Yeah, especially last night, Zaire Franklin sort of just talked about the realities of of what you know. He said you know there's other teams that maybe aren't the most explosive on offense, but they don't. Those teams don't put their their defense in bad positions. They keep you in it towards the end. And he's talk I mean, it's it's fair. It's fair. What's what's gone on with the offense this season is the offense has turned the ball over and has put them in bad positions and hasn't kept them in games. Um, Paris Campbell also kind of said you know. It, he understands why Saturday made the move. Um, that's kind of the move everybody makes. Uh, that's kind of the move. you're looking for a change, looking for a spark. They're not winning. So you make a change at quarterback, but you know maybe it didn't it didn't turn out the way they they expected. So I, I think I think even before that, I think that there was some some indication. Like I think when the first quarterback change happened, you know most all the players said shock, use the word shocking or uh, surprising or some some form of that. To describe that, so I think that there have been some indications that the the uh, whiplash nature of this season has taken an has, has taken a toll on the locker room, and and it makes sense. I mean, the last three of the last four years, the Colts had, had been able to rebound from slow or, or somewhat rough starts, and and the reason that most people cited for why it worked was because. Uh, or why they were able to turn around and not go completely down down the down the tubes like they have this season, was that they they stuck with um, they stayed the course and they stuck with what they were doing, and it, it it does seem like that players respond to that, and it hasn't been that way this season.
2: Joel is Chase McLaughlin <clears throat> the only guy realistically that is almost guaranteeing himself a spot on this team for next year.
6: Um, you know some of the younger guys too. Uh, I mean, obviously, you you wouldn't expect someone on a rookie deal to be gone. So much of it has to deal with, so much of it comes down to, you know, is, I think it's a different picture if Chris Ballard's a general manager or if somebody else was a general manager. And and obviously, Ursay has said over and over again, you know, that uh, Ballard's going to be the general manager. If Chris Ballard's a general manager, I think there's some continuity there, and I think that you probably don't have um, players who are playing well and under contract but don't have guaranteed money left in the deal are more likely to stay. I would, I would think, Um, because usually whenever a new GM comes in, they just blow it up regardless of whether or not the player is playing well. Um, So I think that that's the biggest thing is who's going to be here. Who's not going to be here. We we need to know the full picture of what's going to happen in the off season.
0: Joel, I hate to ask this question, but it's just, it's where we're at in terms of this depth chart. It, It, I don't, I'll tell you ahead of time. I don't feel comfortable in bringing any of those three back. I've seen enough uh to to feel like okay, it's time for a full shift in in where this quarterback room goes this off season. Regardless of what camp you're in personally, whether it's draft QB or bringing a veteran, it chances you think we see any of these three of Ellinger, Foles, or Ryan in a Colts uniform next year.
6: I I think Ellinger's probably the most likely. Yeah. Um you know, as a quarterback on a rookie deal, who was development like the organizational plan prior um, to Urce deciding to go in a different direction was to develop Ellinger as a backup um, and, and see where he got to. You know, Ellinger said in the beginning of the in the beginning of this in the preseason that his this was going to take. He felt like he was in the early stages of a two-year process to kind of become a uh, an NFL quarterback, a viable NFL quarterback. And I think that you know the rookie deal. Him being on a him being a, a former six round pick, you can keep him around and still add two players. I, I mean, I think they have to draft one, especially with what their draft pick is. Um, but you can keep him around and see if he can see if some of the stuff that you saw in the Washington game as as a potential. You know, I thought like it looked in that game like he could maybe be a backup down the line. Um, see if some of that stuff continues to develop. So I, I would say Ellinger um, for sure more so than the other two
2: is Foles under contract next year. Do you know that Joel? And if so, I mean, is that just basically going to be a wash?
6: Foles is under contract. I think there's, uh, I think there's a little bit of, it's not, it's not enough guaranteed money to matter. Um, but I, I would assume that Foles likely probably isn't back. Um, foals, came here, um, for Frank. I mean, he came here for Frank, Reich. That was, that was why he, he signed on to come to the Colts to be the backup. And I, I, I can't imagine that, given the way the, the the game went last night and stuff like that, that it's it's not going to be a, a separation there.
0: Joel Erickson, nice enough to join us, Colts Insider for the Indy Star via the Motor Shop at Fisher's Hotline and the Motorshop dot com. Joel, we talked about the relationship and the the need for a kind of a symbiotic relationship between general manager and head coach. How how critical is that going to be in Jim Irsay's coaching search? knowing that there is a scenario where perhaps a a bigger name coach I'm not going to give examples I mean you you know who I'm thinking of maybe like a a Jim Harbaugh or somebody like that but a bigger name coach says I I don't like the operation that's been set up with your current general manager or I want to make more decisions than the general manager makes how much is that going to be a delicate process and then how much is not shooting yourself in the foot by having a coach and GM that they're going to clash and aren't going to work together
6: Oh, I I think it has to. I think I think the only way it works is if they're on the same page. So whatever you're going to do at the head coach position, it has to fit with what you're doing in the general manager position. That's that's why I was saying earlier that I think that if you keep Ballard and hire a head coach with him, he's here, right? Um, Just because once you start trying to put people together um, who aren't comfortable together, then then you have the potential for what happened with. And I wasn't here, but I've heard enough about it to know like um, what what happened with Pagano and Grigson, where they're they're kind of heading in two different directions. That's a bad spot for a franchise to be in. So, yeah, it, it, the, the GM and the head coach, they have to be on the same page. That's uh, the only way it works in the NFL.
0: Joel, in terms of your observations, last question before we let you go, in terms of your observation these final two weeks, I mean, there's there's nothing left to play for. It's obviously pride and, and fighting for either jobs with this team or jobs in the NFL. But where, if anything, are you... What are you monitoring these final two weeks on this beat, knowing that it's, it is like the the state of covering the Colts right now is that there's you're trying to slog through these final two games, make sure the efforts there. What what all are you tracking these final two weeks?
6: Mostly mostly development. I think that's I think what happens with some of the young guys is probably the the, the most important thing going forward. You know, um, Bernard Rhymans had had some some pretty has had some, some some pretty big valleys, but if he could iron those out, you know, do you have a left tackle of the future? Uh, are are O'Dangbo and Pei uh, the kind of guys that you think you can build around on the defensive line? Uh, you know, uh, c- Can we see a little bit more of Jelani Woods and, and kind of accelerate his development as what, what looks like a downfield, a true downfield weapon at tight end that they haven't really had here since the, the good year, Eric Ebron year in 2018? That, that's the kind of stuff I think that matters the most going forward and is you know what, what are the pieces that we can use uh going forward as we try to rebuild this thing and rebuild this offense
0: joel always appreciate you making time for us good to catch up with you and uh again like i mentioned they can find your work at any star fox 59 cbs four. Uh, anything else i'm leaving out there
6: no that's pretty much it thanks
0: guys thanks for having me on of course appreciate you joel That is Joel Erickson of the Indy Star. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Joel A. Erickson. He's brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers hotline and themowershop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, and so much more. Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. We're going to step away. When we come back, we'll be joined by a man that was involved with all kinds of pregame coverage, as well as their covering For Wish TV, our friend Charlie Clifford is going to take some time with us, get his thoughts on the three-point effort put forth by the Colts' offense last night in that loss to the Chargers. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, all three of us got you covered here. Next is Charlie Clifford on the fan.
2: Our next guest is a guy that always looks quite dapper in the Indianapolis Colts press box from Wish TV. It's our guy, Charlie Clifford, who you hear often on these airwaves. Charlie was in for JMV just a matter of weeks ago, did a terrific job. Cliff is one of our favorites, and he's going to talk some Colts, maybe a little bit of Pacers, too. He's on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com. Cliff, number one, I think you could have shot a cannon through the bottom row of the Indianapolis Colts press box and not hit anybody last night. That did not feel like Monday night football. I don't know if it was because it was yeah. holidays or just interest level, but number 2, you probably could have shot a cannon on that football field and it would not have struck a colt. There was just no emotion on that sideline cliff.
7: You're right. I've noticed that too. You know, you try to look for things since we're sitting up there on the moon at Lucas Oil, you know what what can you gather? Um, shout out to the crowd yesterday. I thought Colts nation showed up, you know, this is, as you've documented very well, the past few weeks, been just a very trying season for anyone who bleeds blue and for that crowd to show up and to be into it early when nothing was going right. Those first three possessions, three and out interception, interception, uh, the fact that people stayed until I think I wrote down like the 8:20 mark in the fourth quarter after the failed was the failed fourth down, and that emptied really the the gates for the rest of the night. But I've noticed that this season with the sideline, you know, I think this is a real high character group, and everyone's done in that locker room, you know, first class job of saying the right thing and not pointing fingers and throwing anyone under the bus. You know, I remember back in the 2017 season when it got really ugly at the end and, you know, T.Y. Hilton called out the offensive line and we saw ultimately, you know, that wasn't a good thing for the rest of that season and T.Y., you know, walked that back and apologized and ultimately that showed how much he really grew as a leader, I think, in his final handful of years in Indianapolis to the role he played last season on this team when, you know, last year, a year ago, he goes and makes a handful of key catches in Arizona, including a touchdown to push that team, you know, within the brink of making the post season after such a slow start. And that was on a really tough week with guys down to COVID and just a great scene post game with him and Ballard bear hugging and you know, that felt like what Frank Reich said post-game after that game. Again, this is a year ago last night or two nights ago. You know, this is the deepest Colts team he thought he had ever had in Indy. And that was a testament to the scouting department and the depth. And now you're sitting here, you know, 365 days later saying, you know, just just how did this transpire the way it did Um And back to your original point, you know, look, there hasn't been throwing of helmets. There haven't been instances where I've seen players shouting at each other and having to be separated due to frustration. And I don't know. I think that kind of cuts both ways. Is that a team that's very in tune with reality of where it's at? I I think that could be maybe a red flag uh, potentially, but definitely – you know, you don't want you don't want your locker room turning on itself either. So, that's a tricky one to figure out when when you look back at this season. I think,
0: Charlie, a mutual friend of yours and mine, and one of your coworkers, uh, the <laughs> great Peter Hood, uh, who yeah. uh, who I know is 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 taking these as, as frustrated as as anybody uh, that is covering the Colts this season. Highlighted yeah. yesterday yeah. that uh, in four primetime games this season. Colts offense has scored four total touchdowns while turning the ball over 12 times, surrendering 19 sacks. Mm. National laughingstock was his exclamation point on that tweet he fired off last night. Uh, as you guys, I know you guys are always working together on the podcast and and, and you guys are covering this team together, but it, that, how do you kind of encapsulate what Jeff Saturday's short tenure has been when you look at the fact that they were still a playoff team or at least had a more realistic shot than the 3% we were joking about last week when mm. Reich was here to now Saturday's taking over this offense and, and he's made some, I don't want to say excuses, but he's brought up the fact that, oh, I haven't brought into my whole crew or whatever. We've been short-staffed. But it, at the end of the day, you were brought here to be a spark plug and save this season to an extent, and it just hasn't gone that way.
7: Yeah, well, A, Peter Hood, you know, always there with, The number that you know you're probably looking for. How do I proper (laughs) properly tell this, illustrate this story? And Pete finds it with the four touchdowns and the 19 sacks. And really, as you said, in four primetime games that Jim Irsay spent four years campaigning for. I mean, this goes back to 2018 when that team came out of nowhere with Andrew under center, obviously. And just the frustration of, we have a great product, we have a star, why is this brand not in front of the whole country? And I think at that point it was a fair argument, especially with the the record in the division that they had boasted about at that point in time. But to your point with Jeff, Zaire Franklin put it in great perspective last night, you know, he locker rooms emptying emptying out that that locker room emptied out very quickly last night, as you would expect, but he's always there to, you know, answer anything with, with great thought. And that's why he's a captain, why he should be a pro bowler as a potential alternate here, hopefully in the next few weeks. But I mean, his quote was, look, a lot of these coaches aren't going home and seeing their kids during the week, and that's when you have a full staff. So to be three minds down, to be three sets of hands down, you know, it is jarring, I think, behind the scenes. The fact that Reggie Wayne signed on to kind of be the spark, to be the – the link to the glory days and to bring, let's just face it, a swagger to a team that needed it coming off last season. And now he finds himself splitting time between trying to get Alec Pierce on the same page with Nick Foles in four days. And then also shuffling into the tight end room and looking at Jelani Woods and trying to explain to him how to feel things out, you know, after, Okay, we're going to script the first so many plays, but then, you know, this is how I need you to to figure out how to get open when plays break down. You know, Kevin Mawai, who was an assistant offensive line coach, is now in the tight end room, telling Kylan Granson, "Hey, here's how you, you know, disguise yourself as an undersized blocker, and here's here's how you can get better at trying to keep." You know, this quarterback who you know, who are, regardless of who it is back there the rest of the year, it's not someone that's going to be able to get out of the pocket and do anything off script. So you can tell on everybody's face, really, I think the past two weeks, just the weight of this season and the toll this has taken on everyone who works in that building, anyone who drives to the Colts complex every morning. There has been an extra just unprecedented. I think for folks who have worked under Chris Ballard, uh wait this season and now you're seeing it trickle onto the field. I mean, let's face it last night was a team that even on a long week looked tired, uh, looked, you know, like they know that the clock's sticking down on this season and you can only, you can only put that to the back of your mind for so long. And I think the defense specifically, did that for much longer than some anticipated and that should be taken into note. But at this point, you know, you're, we're all watching the same thing and that, that starts from the top down and and now the the countdown to April begins and you're right the Jeff, I'm I'm being long-winded here, but the Jeff Saturday idea, it was a, you know, high end, high end. It's a miraculous story. It would have been one of the best stories in the national football league had, He turned this team into a a playoff team. And low end, let's face it, if it falls apart, that was going to be the best for the long term of this organization in terms of, of landing a top five pick and landing a centerpiece that fans can be excited about because that piece isn't here right now. And that's very clear.
2: Charlie Clifford's our guest on the guest line, brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and the com for all your snow blowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Cliff, might be easy to say, now that he kind of stunk up the joint last night, did not convert a third <laughs> down, but did it ever make sense to you that Nick Foles was the starter last night?
7: Well, I'll throw it back at you guys. I'm sure you've talked about it. I think Nick is... Part of the reason that Matt Ryan's been able to get through this season, I mean, that that room is tight. As they've said, Sam Ellinger being a very, you know, high-class guy who's just very self-aware. You know, these are very three self-aware people, I think, who know (laughs) – you you know, I I don't know. Um, I think – at this point, you know, what, what do you have to lose? And, you know, Nick's been a good sport. I I think if he would have handled things differently, which obviously he never would have, he's Nick Foles. That's, that's how he's built his reputation, but had it been a different situation with a backup who maybe didn't play ball with not being able to get a chance that first time around when being demoted to third string, I think, You know, it's a simple saying, but good things happen to good people. And obviously Nick Foles wants to put something on tape to potentially extend his career. He is 33. I think there is football left in the right situation, you know, for a spot start when he can get reps with first team guys and and kind of stay in tune. I mean, Paris Campbell told us straight up last night, look, this is tough. Nick Foles didn't expect to play this season. I mean, it's week 16. You 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 do not expect to play. If you've been sitting on the bench that long, you've been demoted for a guy who's never played, who's younger than you, and here you have four and a half days to figure it out, well, now you know what it looks like. So I don't blame anybody. I'm not saying it was the wrong decision. There is no right decision at this point. So giving him a chance to go out and do something while you, let's face it, the the financials of Matt Ryan's future are more important than seeing what Matt Ryan has to give you. And the Ellinger one is what baffles me. I think it's going to be a very interesting week to see. I expect at a minimum that Ellinger would get the final game of the season, but to go completely 180 on, you know, this is a guy who played well in the second half against the Commanders, and had you in position to win a game, if Michael Pittman Jr. potentially doesn't drop a wide open pass, uh, he has a dud against New England. Well, you know, look at the list of young quarterbacks who've had a dud in that situation without their starting running back and with, a, with an offensive line that was at its worst. So, to me, that's that's much more of a baffling topic than you know Nick Foles getting a couple, you know, freebies at the end of the year.
0: Charlie Clifford, nice enough to take some time with us of Wish TV on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline and the com for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power equipment, and so much more they have you covered at the Motor Shop. Charlie, when you look around the NFL and you look at all the, the, the train wrecks that are in the top five, <laughs> where, where, where do you place this team? They had playoff expectations start the year. Mm. Are, are they, are they as bad? I mean, I, I think they are particularly offensively, but are, <laughs> are they as bad and are they in that, do they deserve to be in that same breath as the Texans in terms of the worst teams in the NFL right now?
7: You know, I don't even put Houston had a roadmap right. here right. of that, right? <laughs> so to me, this conversation is Denver, Denver, Los Angeles and the Colts, the bears and the Texans are playing the long game and bears fans have had plenty to smile about. I mean, Justin Fields gives you one of the top three plays on a weekly basis. And there's a plan there in Houston. uh, Maybe a bit of a different situation, but let's face it. That Colts team last night does not beat the Houston Texans. No, and I don't think it's a particularly close game. So don't hold your breath for this to be, you know, who knows what what could happen here in two weeks at home because you'll certainly be rotating your starters out, I would think, um, at some point in that game if, if they aren't sitting already. So Denver, uh, due to the financials of Russell Wilson, due to the fact that you mortgaged your future, Jimmy, you know that division better than anybody. I mean, Hate that, to see it, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first year coach, you know, one of what five first year coaches to be let yep. go before the end of the first year, which I'd forgotten. Lou Holtz was on that list with the Jets. That's just it's crazy how uh, look, you can always come back. So hopefully Nathaniel Hackett can can figure it out. But I think that one tops the Colts, and then the Rams, just you know, a historic step back for a Super Bowl champion knowing that they brought back that team um, to you know pretty much what it was Whitworth retires OBJ gets hurt Uh, but to to really to really clock out that quickly just with a leader like Sean McVay I I didn't think that was going to be possible so I think the Colts get the bronze medal in that they're standing, you know, a couple spots down on the podium, looking at Russ, looking at Russ, and um, you know, uh, I don't know who who's the face of the Rams. You know, Baker feels like the yeah. Okay, there you go. It, it feels like the Rams are getting a bit of a pass, though. You know, they they swung big with the trade, and they got their Lombardi. So I. I Denver, I feel like, will walk away as the punching bag this season. But, you know, unfortunately for Colts fans, you're you're right there next to them, which is absolutely unbelievable considering what we were, you know, what we saw and what we heard this summer. It's just, it's bizarre, quite honestly. We were uh,
2: getting plenty of Broncos, countries, let's ride from, from Eddie yesterday <laughs> here on the show. Cliff, yeah, uh, we- I know it. Cliff, I'll send you the break with this. So I want yeah. you to put your Santa hat on um, oh. with my – take it off yet. Still yeah, on. that's what I'm saying. Well, keep it on because you're going to need it to Chris, answer this question.
7: Chris Presley, Chris Presley has his hat on. We love – C- CP yeah. is a terrific dude. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. So is the Colts' next franchise quarterback in this group of Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, mm-hmm. Will Levis, Anthony Richardson – or Hendon Hooker. Mm-hmm. Number one is the Colts franchise quarterback in that group. And number two, whose camp are you in? I know it's unrealistic, but I am the biggest get Bryce Young to Indianapolis supporter there is, and I hope you're in the same camp as me.
7: Wait, say that last part again? I missed it.
2: I am the president of Get the Bryce get Bryce Young to Indianapolis <laughs> as fast as possible, club.
7: I would love you to you, join me. It, no, I you know, these things change as it feels like sometimes unless there is the the godsend quarterback which the most recent one i believe was Trevor Lawrence in yeah. terms of you you knew going into that year who the number 1 pick was going to be i i tell everyone i don't watch enough college football you know i don't i have not sat down and watched enough of any of these guys to know so i don't know I don't know, BK. And that's, um, you know, unless you have that topic, I think it's going to be very interesting what Seattle does. Yes. They have Denver's pick and everyone's trying to figure out, all right, if, if you're five, you know, how many quarterbacks are going to be off the board? Um, and then you ha- always have the mystery scenario of, oh God, here come the Bears to get Mitch Trubisky. You know, oh, no one saw that coming. So, you know are you i think the number one question if jim Mercer retains chris ballard will you know just be his comfort level with potentially sitting at 5 or going against everything he's ever been taught everything in his rule book of you know potentially mortgaging significant draft stock in the future to move up a couple slots to guarantee you get your quarterback that, you know, you, you feel best with. Um, I don't, you know, obviously the draft starts after barring anything crazy these last two weeks draft starts after whatever Houston does at quarterback at one. So if that's Bryce or Levis, um, it sounds like it's going to be one of those two, right? right. I mean, I, I think, uh, it, it's just funny because you look at Levis's build, and I haven't seen it, ton of his tape, but he, it's just such a similar build to Carson Wentz, um, big stocky guy, you know, big arm. And, um, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting few months, Andy buckle up. That's just, that's just the bottom line. And you got to, you got to pray because I don't think anybody knows. I don't, I don't think there's look at Lawrence. I mean, it's been, it's now, you know, taking years for him to, to settle in and to play the football that, you know, everybody thinks you're going to walk out and be, be a winner day one. And that's just, it's so rare. And I, you know, they do have some pieces that it's not a rebuild. It's not like you're walking into Houston. I think that's a different situation, but it's also not the team that you, you convinced yourself potentially that it was going to be this year. And you know, that that's not going to change overnight. So we shall see gentlemen. He's the we best. Charlie
2: Clifford from Wish TV. He is with us on the hotline, brought to you by The Mower Shop and Fishers and Shop.com. Cliff, we always appreciate the time, my man. Hope you're having a great holiday season. We'll talk soon. You're the man,
7: Charlie. Hey, thanks, boys. Keep up the great work. See
2: you, Cliff. Charlie Clifford with us on The Fan. That's always good stuff with Charlie. Coming up top of the hour, we will get to you. Your phone calls at 2 o'clock. Feel free to get them in. We'll come back, put a bow on the one o'clock hour next. It's all you if you'd like it from 2 to 3. 317-239-1070. The Chargers beat the Colts. LA's going to the postseason. Indianapolis simply is not. On the fan.
0: Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on the Fan Midday Show. We went a little bit long with our friend Charlie Clifford. Always good to talk to Cliffs. So we're going to step aside one more time to get ourselves back on track. But again, coming up next, take your phone calls and fan reaction to the Colts' lost to the Chargers last night. As LA's headed to the playoffs, they win twenty to three. Back in a second, your phone calls. More on the Colts and what we want to see these final two weeks on the Fan. I'm not going to name names because I love the YouTube chat. I love the banter. But if you throw at me a veteran quarterback, if you want to call it that, a suggestion of a veteran quarterback for the Colts next year that hasn't done anything relevant in their career to this point of legitimate relevance, I don't have time for you. Roast them, Jimmy. Sorry. I just don't. I can't do it. Can't do it. My line is drawn at. uh, But
3: Jimmy, he's a Pro Bowl alternate. Hey, that's something special. Tell you what. Special, special talent, potentially. And we're not talking about Mitchell Trubisky here.
0: No, we're, we, we are indeed not talking about Mitchell Trubisky. It was a... <laughs> Eddie, you labeled it a dismantling. It was disaster. It was... I guess the light show was cool. Colts fans got to see that. I mean, I, I yeah, guess was the, the, the entertainment side of things. Colts do a good job putting on a show in terms of off-the-field stuff. But on the field, the product that matters to a ton... It has not been there this season. One of the more disappointing stretches in recent memory for the Indianapolis Colts. They fall twenty to three, the Chargers last night. Four ten and one on the season now, and squared about the fifth pick currently in most. Well, that's where their position right now in terms of mock drafts. We'll go to the phone lines for a little bit here. Remember, if you want to join the conversation, you're welcome to either via the YouTube chat, searching one zero seven five the fan on YouTube or searching the fan midday show there and interacting there. You can also tweet at B sports at the Jay cook at Eddie Garrison underscore. We'll get to your comments there as well. And then three one seven two three nine ten seventy, 70. It's a place to go. If you want to directly interact with us, we'll go to the phone lines. Now let's go over to Paul. Paul, how are you today? Welcome to the show.
5: What's up fellas. How are you doing? Hey Paul. Okay. Um, I I just don't understand what Jeff Saturday doing. Um, I don't, and if Jim Ursay is really considering bringing him back, then we will be the stock of, of the NFL next year. First of all, he, he doesn't play the players who needs to be played. After Jacksonville won on Thursday, we were eliminated from the playoffs, so there was no reason to play Nick Foles. Nick Foles goes out there, he stinks it up in the first half, so why trot him out there in the third quarter? You play Sam Ellinger to see if this guy's going to be around for a few years to come, and not as our starter, but as a backup. Because if not, then that means the coach has to go out and spend more money on a veteran backup. Another thing, he does, when I say he doesn't know who to play, that's like a few weeks ago, Jelani Woods has nine catches for 93 yards. What happens the next game after that? He barely plays. And and this week was the first week where they didn't run the ball up the middle, try those wide receiver screens left and right, and I don't understand what's going on with this team. We are seeing the same thing every week, and nothing's changing. So if nothing's changing and we're not better and these quarterbacks are not getting it done, why not play Sam Ellinger? At least that would excite the fan base some. And... We would see what we have as far as a viable backup. And if not, then we can go elsewhere as far as a free agent backup or signing or, or, or drafting two quarterbacks like Washington did when they drafted Robert Griffin III and Kirk Cousins. We just got to do something different because doing the same thing every week and expecting different results is absolute insanity. Fellas, that's all I've got. You guys have a great day, and I'll just listen to what you guys have
0: to say. Appreciate you, Paul. Thank you, as always, for the call. Paul, always a frequent caller to the shows and, and follows with passion, both the Colts as well as the Pacers. Uh, I guess to react to that, BK, like I look, clearly I'm not making the decisions for this Colts team, but I, I don't see a world where Jeff Saturday's back as the head coach of this football team. So I'm e- even though you have to leave everything on the table for Jim Say, that's not that's not a legitimate option for me. I don't think he's going to be here. My bigger concern and my bigger fascination with where they go is with Chris Ballard. He's now reaffirmed throughout the season on multiple occasions, from the start of the season to the firing of Frank Reich to Monday Night Football, uh, his you know kind of pregame lead up interview with them saying that Chris Bauard's our general manager. Joel Erickson brought up a great point. You and I brought up a similar point earlier to start the show, BK. You are in danger of putting yourself in a massive kind of black hole, if you will, of the next three or four years of this franchise if your new head coaching change is back with Bauer under center and there's – or not under center, but uh, under the controls – and there's a disconnect between those two. Because if you get on this carousel, like so many bad franchises go, where you're alternating every three years, firing a GM, firing a coach, firing a GM, firing a coach, you're, you're, there's going to be no progress. It's going to be more seasons like this for the Colts unless they, like a blind squirrel,
2: find a nut in the draft and and, and hit it out of the park and it, it stabilizes things. That's exactly why the Chicago Bears are not relevant, Jim. Right. And they have not been relevant since the year 1985. They cannot... Find a pair that works well together. And in my mind, I do think there is an avenue that Jeff Saturday is the coach of this football team next year. Not because I like it, but because Jim is getting so compelled with the multiple Lombardis thing that I think he is convinced, and he convinced himself, I don't think anybody is in his ear with this, that he needs to go back to the era of... That brought him so much happiness and so much success in order to get there. I don't think he believes that somebody outside the organization from a leadership standpoint can get them to the Manning era again. And he has convinced himself so much that way. And he's kind of sprinkled in the luck era. That's what the $25 million to luck was. He wanted an avenue to try and get him back. And I'm not going to start Andrew Luck comeback rumors. That's not me. I will never say that. That's a conspiracy. But I think he believes that it will not be a new era of Colts football that it will get him to where he wants his football team to be. It will be the old era that gets him back. Hence why he called Jeff Saturday. Because it wasn't even... when He, made the, he said this himself. When he made the call to Saturday... He wasn't even thinking about firing Reich, in his words. He said that. He just wanted to know what the hell was going on. Are you watching this? I thought it was hilarious that Saturday was like, uh, no, I'm not watching this. So he wasn't even watching the game that his predecessor got fired in, and then two days later, he's the football coach of this team. Ursay has convinced himself to a T that he needs the previous era to help the future era, and that's why Saturday has a window to come back. There's
0: only one... Individual, and we'll say player because I don't want to disrespect Pulley and I don't want to sp- disrespect Dungy. There's only one player from that era that would have any shot of having success doing that, and it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen because he's made it clear that he's not interested in coming back as a. I mean, maybe with ownership, but not as a, not as a, as a coach. So, and that's Peyton, of course. So, I, I, I agree with you on that. But they are, they are so. Fu- it is a Texas-sized, Grand Canyon-sized gap between one Lombardi, let alone two, and where this team is. So I, I agree with with your thought on that. I just, it's, that's sad to see because it's not, that's not the answer. That's not the path, in my mind anyway, to get you back. Let's head back to the phone lines real quick, been on hold for a second. Aaron, welcome to the Fan Midday Show. How are you?
8: Hey, I'm doing fine, man. Just a little blue today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, let me make an analogy here. You know, Jim Mercy, along with a lot of the Colts fans, live in a neighborhood on the street of Nostalgic Avenue. They don't know how to leave the neighborhood and go search and look around in the neighborhoods. I mean, he's, he's gotten with Jeff strategy. Yesterday isn't coming back. You better start concentrating on today and tomorrow. You know, Peyton Manning Unitas is is, in, is not coming through that door. You know, stop looking for the next Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck and find the first whoever. At one time point in time, Peyton Manning wasn't trying to be the next whoever. He was just going to concentrate on being Peyton Manning. You know, and that's what we need here. We fall in love too much with the individual instead of the team, and for the life of me, I'll never understand why we treat football totally different from baseball. You can have a star uh, pitcher, you know, through five no hitters in a row, but on that sixth game, if he's stinking it up, they're gonna pull him. But in football, the quarterback screw up and they pull him, and we lose our mind. Oh, he went to the backup. So what? It's not our money. We try to get into Jim Mercy's head, but it's never going to work. We don't know what it's like to be a billionaire. You know, we need to just sit back, relax, and enjoy the entertainment like we do a movie. You know, you pay to go see the movie. You don't protest on who's a, a lead actor or a, a, a backup actor or nothing. Just enjoy it. And my uh, prediction for the draft, what they should do, which I don't know they won't, because Ballard, he's a he's an Eddie Haskell, of general manager, you know. He gets over with that smile, and he don't think anybody knows what's going on. I believe him and Jim he set uh, Frank Wright uh, up to fail because he wasn't their original pick, and that's why he refused to give some help in here because he was scared that Frank Wright might succeed. He wanted his own team and his own coach and everything. But if I was uh, a general manager – I would trade Nelson to move on up to the first and second pick. That way that'll free you up to re-sign Taylor for his next uh, uh, deal. And you can get a rookie quarterback in here where they are all set. Paul, you know, I appreciate you're i You're a real – Aaron, I a appreciate the phone call, sir.
0: And I and I totally agree with where you're coming from. I apologize. We've got a couple other people in line. But I, I appreciate the level-headed take. And I completely agree with you in terms of just the – the structure of where the mindset needs to be with where this team goes, that you can't be trying to just find the next atypical quarterback situation. You can't keep trying to find the next Aaron Rodgers, the next Patrick Mahomes. Got to go find your guy. And a lot of players carry themselves that way, BK, in terms of they want to make their own legacy. They want to make their own impact. And to Aaron's point, you can't be living in the past of, uh, as he put it, nostalgic avenue of trying to find out uh, oh, if we go back to the way things were, we try to bring similar pieces from that era, maybe it's automatically going to make us good now. No, it's a matter of building this next era of the Colts. And if you want to have certain assistant coaches in there, like Reggie Wayne, i I didn't hate that move. I was right? fine like, with like it. I, that, that's that I don't have a problem with that. That's an accomplished wide receiver that's trying to help a position group that you need big leaps to be taken on, where you need Alec Pierce to make an immediate impact as in as a rookie, which he's done. Like I, I don't have an issue with that, but it's where if you start to take steps back and try to, again, with no real coaching experience other than the fact that, again, with the high school jabs aside, it was a hire that I still think, which is why I don't think he's coming back. If the results would have been great, maybe it's a tough decision for Jim say The results aren't great. Now it's a moment in time where you look back at this stretch for Jeff Saturday and you realize this was a placeholder to get us through the season. It didn't work out. And
3: now it's time to move on. Here's my question to you guys. Okay. I know I was out to dinner last night. Uh, Olivia and I were Olivia. Uh, we were at a Hibachi place and there was a family next to us and they were all dressed up in Colts gear. They were going to the Colts game. And sure. I asked them, I was like, Hey, going to the game? They're like, yeah. And then we start talking next thing, you know, we're talking about the quarterback position. I'm like, who would you rather see Foles or Ellinger? And they're like, I'd rather see Sam. Cause if we're going to suck, I'd like to at least be sucking with the young guy. And figure out what he is, if he's backup or not. And Guys. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. My question here is, we know the Colts are going to be top five in the draft based on how things are going. Why does the backup quarterback position matter if you are looking to draft the franchise guy in the upcoming draft? Why does the backup position matter?
2: Well, because there's a high likelihood that they're not going to get the A-list QB. I think, so, I, th-
3: I, I think there is.
2: I hope there is. I, I don't. Joe Erickson said that it goes against, every, or maybe it was Cliff, but it goes against everything Ballard stands for to give up those assets to move up two spots in the first round. So I hope it happens, but I see no avenue or no motivation that they're actually going to go get an A-list guy. So the backup QB would matter. If they get if they have to settle for a Richardson or a Hooker or something someone like that.
3: But see, the only way for me is if CJ Stroud is not there at five, that means somebody traded up because Chicago, Denver, and Arizona Which are is, not drafting a quarterback.
2: So I could see somebody trading up in this draft. This is a type of quarterback jewel draft that somebody could come up from fifteen or twenty and steal somebody. And that's a
0: possibility, but 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 at the same time though, and this is what I've kind of been By Denver, I mean Seattle. Harping on right. But what I've kind of been harping on the last I don't know, last two or three weeks is that it it really doesn't big picture to your point, Eddie, the backup who the backup is next year. Because you can't try to put the cart before the horse in that position when you you need to You need to hit it out of the park with this draft if you're this bad and you believe in the quarterback that's there. And based on the performances throughout this season, I don't know that I want to see any of the three quarterbacks that we've seen this year on this roster next year. I guess Ellinger is the only argument just because, like Joel mentioned, he's young. He's on a team-friendly deal. Uh, His work ethic is praised. He's a a second or third-string
2: quarterback in the league. And that's a fine way but to make a living. Even, but that's fine and that's why starting fools and by the way, can we get a command center a little noise here? Jeff Saturday, quote, nicks the quarterback and we're moving forward with that. Egregious. Look it, it embarrassing. I, it it
0: This is probably the wrong take, but it it's just my thought on it. I don't I don't care anymore. Like like okay. like, like like I know fans do, but I don't like I don't care what they do at quarterback anymore this year. I'm not I'm not mad at Saturday for that, but I'm also like I'm indifferent on it because the season is done and I don't believe my personal take on it that Sam Ellinger is a starting quarterback in this league. Wait, let, let, let me finish the back half of that. Okay. I don't trust this regime with what they're seeing on the field. So god forbid okay. Sam Ellinger balls out these final two games. Just just a flash in the pan cuz that happens. Quarterbacks every now and again like you give them an opportunity. Like look at look at look at Brock Purdy the other day, right? Like again that's a different system and maybe Purdy might actually have a better future than Ellinger. But that's just a one instance of this season where a backup quarterback or in that case a third string quarterback comes in, makes an immediate impact.
5: I don't
2: want this being a debate this offseason of Ah oh, Sam Ellinger is the quarterback of the future. Because I don't think he is. I don't think anybody would ever say that. And plus, Brock Purdy, again, he's got Debo Samuel and yeah, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, it's a different scenario. Okay. It's a di- it, I, it, I understand. There's but, a, system a system built there. There's a system built
0: in it, San Francisco. It, it is Ellinger could system. play in that system, and he would look like a quarterback where people are
2: like, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy is a future well, I'd love to be able to hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey 35 times a game. <laughs> I, I don't think, guys, and, and I've been an Ellinger stand for sure since he came to the Colts. I thought Ellinger should have been above Jacob E From the start, I have been an Ellinger backup supporter. I don't think he's ever going to win a division with the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think he's ever going to play in a playoff game. What I do think is that Nick Foles is like your classic old grandma has a recipe for this dish. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows what Nick Foles is going to bring. It's the same thing as Matt Ryan. That's what I was trying to tell Everybody last week. That's all I was trying to say, is that Nick Foles is going to bring you nothing different from what you struggled with through 75% of this year because Ellinger did start those two games. Ellinger, at the very least, gives you a little bit of mystery that you say, what if? You don't say what if with Foles. You don't say what if anymore with Ryan because you know what's going to happen. Jimmy, well, why how Why do you bad? need the mystery? Why? Why? Give me something to think about going in the offseason, man. Give me something to think what, about. What are, What are you thinking about, though? But I mean, because this
3: guy was a sixth-round pick, I and he not even great at Texas.
2: That's fine. I just need to know, because we don't know from Washington and New England truly what he is.
3: We. I agree with
2: that. Those interceptions... Those. Inter, please describe, Jimmy, those interceptions last night. Just the general ones from Foles? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you, I, Brandon, I don't think it, Ellinger throws that bad
0: of an interception if you put him I, in. I, I don't think so either, but I guess... You and I are having two different arguments. I'm looking at this more in the long term of the season's done. Like, okay,
2: fine. Throw Ellinger out there. I don't care. I... Right, I don't need I, to see any more from either. him because he could be a backup next year. I, I do, but for what? That's
0: my question. Because Why? Because
2: the last time that he was given a chance to start, he was put in an impossible position to start on the road against a guy that eats rookie quarterbacks, and it was the game his head coach got fired. But what's the end game in that result? Let's say he
0: looks good these final two weeks. What what will you feel like you've learned?
2: Third string. Okay, you keep him on the roster. You don't have to go out and pay more money. You don't have to go out and pay another Nick Foles because, as Joel said, he does have some guaranteed money on his. Deal.
0: And that, and that, to me, is why. Like, I, I think he's on the roster next year anyway, just based on where it, where his contract is. Right, but I would pick.
2: like to, I would like to fully know what he can do before you make that decision. Give him one more shot. And we were force fed all week, supposedly that Nick Foles has arm strength. Those passes last night on the interceptions. Those were worse than Ryan. Would you agree <laughs> with me? Those were worse than Ryan. But at least
3: they're down the field. At least they're down the field. <laughs> would you agree with me, <laughs> like though? Like I said, they're punts.
0: Would you agree with me, though, that how bad this offense is as a whole? It's still not a fair Eleanor area would to would probably struggle. Like, and, and at but that you point, don't know. No, but I'm saying, like, at that point, what, this is why it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me because this offense is so bad that you're not getting a fair baseline evaluation of what Elliott can do anyway. Like, you weren't getting it earlier in the season, and you're not getting it now against New York, who's still a playoff team, and Houston, who, even though they have the one seed pretty much locked up, are still playing to win games. The offense is not good enough for you to get a fair evaluation from Sam. That's why I don't care.
3: Schematically, it's terrible, too.
0: Like, I just don't... Like, yeah, we're going to see him run around, extend plays a little bit more, but you're not getting a fair evaluation for what he can offer when the running back is done for the season in Jonathan Taylor and you have injuries across different areas and you're making quarterback changes that's why it's an indifferent topic to me because and that's why they went with Nick Foles because he's a veteran to
2: get them through the season and they that's all that's all they care about right it, now it, is last night considered getting through getting embarrassed on national television though again again Getting
3: through,
0: I, getting I, I through re- to me, is is what it literally means. It okay. is getting through these last two weeks and getting in the draft. Because okay, the quarterback is not at West 56 go ahead, right Andy. now. Let me go ask ahead, you this. Andy.
3: All right, so Sam Ellinger starts last night. Here's this stat line. He's like, let's go with 15 of 31, whatever it is. I don't know. The offense accumulates 200 yards. They fail to get inside the red zone. Is that worse than what you saw last night? No.
2: No? I thought those were the most brutal interceptions I've ever seen. Last night, that's tough.
3: I mean, you could also you could also say. I mean, Nick. I thought those were the most brutal interceptions. was put put into a situation. and it's no fault of his own. Fail.
2: It's no fault of his own. He he didn't practice with these dudes since August. That's
3: what I'm saying. He was put in a position to fail. Was At least Ellinger has had a run. And
2: I realize this conversation. Guys, this conversation that we're having right now is not going to mean squat. It doesn't. I mean, April. It, it, but you know what's sad? This is now. in the position <laughs> we are. And this football team is terrible. Terrible. And this is what we're force fed. This is what we're forced to talk about because they're getting embarrassed almost now on a weekly basis on national television. And I don't know how you look yourself in the mirror if you're somebody over there and say that.
3: Let's do it again. I, I just don't know. And the only, th- only thing I guess you could say is, all right, let's give him a full week as a starter where he gets the reps, where he knows he's the guy leading up the week. He can fi- he can develop somewhat of chemistry, and maybe him and Parks Frazier can sit down and be like, hey, this is what we did well. This is what we sucked at. Uh, there's going to be little of the first, a lot of the latter. But like, I think that's the only thing you can say here with Nick Foles if you run him back for another week is like, okay, you get another week here. You know you're the starting quarterback, and now we can still get a better evaluation of the guys around the quarterback.
0: That and, you know, he, like Matt Ryan, gives the Colts the best chance to win. So that's, that's what we've learned the last couple of days. Here's the thing. Yes or no? My answer is no. Is the starting quarterback of 2023 on the roster right now? No. No, he's not. And that's why, again, I, BK, I'm not arguing against you. Like, I don't want Sam out there. I'm telling you flatly, I don't care. I'm not i am not disagreeing with you. I just, I, I don't because yeah he can look great. It, it's just this whole offense is so anemic. And on top of that, Brendan, why the quarterback didn't matter to me as much yesterday, it mattered with the Colts' strategy, because they went pass-happy a lot of that game. Joel mentioned this when we talked to him at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. That run defense is bad for Los Angeles, and they had success when they ran the ball, and I understand that Moss is not Taylor, but that would have been your better recipe for me with a quarterback that hasn't had any first-team reps this year, is rely heavily on your running game. I mean, unless you're just trying to show what you can do as a coach, if you're just Saturday and all right, we're gonna come up with a passing attack and we're gonna we're gonna try to beat the Chargers through the air, the Chargers with Mike Williams and Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. We're gonna to try to beat
2: them in a shootout. So that's where I'm at. I'm not, uh, not I'm not devaluing look, your a, a point. A brutal I just don't care. a brutal Nick Foles interception. Here we're gonna watch another. Look at this, Jimmy. Yeah, so look fun. at that throw. That looked like if me or you were out there. No offense to me or you. It had a nice spiral on it. <laughs> You know what? Uh we got some phone callers waiting, so let's take a timeout. We will get to your calls after the break. Tim, hold on. There are a couple other callers as well. We will hear from you if you'd like to chime in. You've got the opportunity to at 317-239-1070. Nick Foles, terrible interceptions. We're running it back, baby. He's starting on New Year's Day in NYC. We can't wait. We're back next on the fan. I feel bad for Matt Taylor. No touchdown calls
3: last night? He had two. Yeah, it's never fun. He had two of them. Not for us. I mean, he still had two touchdown calls.
2: Yeah, but there was no INDY.
3: There haven't been many INDYs this year. I know. Poor guy. No, that's... even on some of the touchdown calls, he hasn't done the INDY.
2: Yeah, that's tough as a play-by-play guy, man. Not being able to call like the exciting moments for your own team. It's like getting shut out for back-to-back days in baseball. You're like, oh my God. We lost, one time when I was in Boise that summer, my first summer, we lost 10 in a row in a 76-game season. That's tough. That was tough. Uh, we are back to the phone lines three one seven. I I don't know how long to, to expunge yeah, on that. No, but, but, I, but it is. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, just, it's it's particularly in baseball. It's it's the it's the
0: long stretch of the season where dude, when you're highest of highs and there are when you of lows.
2: when you lose eight straight, it yeah. is a helpless feeling. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm, I'm a
3: Reds fan. I'm used to it. <laughs> ah, that's okay.
2: You'll be all right. 1070 uh, If you'd like to chat about the Colts or really anything else on your mind, Pacers and the Hawks tonight. Eddie will be behind the board for Mr. Boyle and the Pacers as they look for a win on this back-to-back coming back from New Orleans. Tim has been waiting quite a while to get his input on the Colts quarterback situation. Tim, you can go ahead.
7: Hey, how are you guys doing? Good, man. First of the season ticket holder, Foles was awful. I never want to sit through that again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Uh... with you. But uh, one thing I'm always curious about, and I don't know if it was because of the heart condition or what, but I, I watch college football, and how come nobody talks about the TCU kid? He seems like he would be up there.
0: What if I told you that the TCU kid is drawing draft comparisons to Sam Ellinger? What would that make you say? Because I read that in one of the uh, draft write-ups, and uh, Tim, i got to be honest, that uh, that immediately uh, made me stray away. I don't know. I mean, I don't have a problem with him as a player, but a lot of the critique on him is that he's he's good at a lot of things, but he's not – really great or elite at everything. So I don't think any stone is going to be left unturned by whoever the general manager is. At this point, we're going to say Chris Ballard, because that's what Jim says has told us. Um, but I don't know. It's tough. You look at quarterbacks that are starting caliber right now. I mean, the non-Brady division, the top one that comes to my mind that wasn't a first round pick is Dak Prescott. He was a fourth rounder. And obviously, uh, um, this isn't the type of prospect we're talking about in Duggar that is is in that same Vane, he's a higher up projected QB, but BK it, I don't know. That's what that's what I take away from it is he's he's good at a lot of things, but I don't know if he's an elite level talent.
2: Yeah, and with what you're gonna need, you have to find a way to compete for one of the A listers because I don't think the fan base would accept
3: Who's an A lister in your eyes? Bryce Young. C. He's C. the Stroud. only CJ
2: Stroud. I'm not I'm not a Levis guy. I think Levis is gonna be your classic. He's got everything in the bank and then is gonna need some time. You need a guy to come in here. So just to and, reframe that question, whether it is young or
0: Stroud, and let's say it's young since you're in the young camp, you expect him to be under center day
2: one. He, I think he's in the camp, I think he's in the or you would where, put him under center day I, one. I, I would. I I would. I, I don't think you mess around with this crap anymore of of, of try and find the old guy that can stick. and you you got to build your roster in a way where you can surround a Bryce Young with the talent necessary for him to get everything he can out of this league because that is a player where if you put him in the wrong system, he might struggle. You need to put weapons around him that can compliment him and I think he would be a perfect, just perfect compliment to Jonathan Taylor. Most mocks, and I know you know this,
0: have I, him I going to Houston. I understand. So if that happens, because you know you're heavily on the on the Bryce Young camp, does the needle move at all for
2: you on Stroud? I'd or take Levis? Stroud. I take I, Stroud. I'd take Stroud. Okay. I, I because I think Stroud is a Similar enough player, has a similar enough skill set to where he can... I don't think Levis complements Taylor any differently from what Wentz did. Right. Yeah, I don't disagree w- with that. Wentz and Taylor would be the same situation from 2021.
3: It's ironic, um, you know, studying these quarterbacks. I My comp for Will Levis is yeah. Carson Wentz. I,
2: I don't think he gives you anything different from what you saw in 2021. Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud would bring that dichotomy of, all right, here's J.T., your bell cow, right? But you can put a little read option in that playbook. You can put a little speed option in that playbook. And you could keep guys off balance. Uh, Greg has been hanging on at 317-239-1070. Greg, go ahead.
1: Hey, thank you, guys, and I appreciate your program. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you, man. Thanks, Greg. (laughs) Continue it. So my thing is, is more on Ballard. I think that, first of all, he doesn't really understand. We play in a dome. We play in the AFC South. We need weapons. It's not just Jonathan Taylor right, Jonathan Taylor left. He's a great back, don't get me wrong. But you really can't, you know, catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. We had Hines. They screwed that up. I'm not blaming that on Ballard. But it's like we need to have weapons. Look at Miami. They play in a warm climate. They have two good wide receivers, even though a horrible quarterback – we need weapons because even if we go on the road, four of our games are going to be in nice weather. So I don't really understand. Um, his, his whole philosophy is, hey, build from the inside out. Well, he didn't build a left tackle, he let our right guard go. It's like, so you can't have it both ways, in my opinion. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Greg, appreciate the phone call. There have been moves that have been head scratching to me, Jimmy, and I've had no secret about it in the way that the roster has been built. And that gets back to our conversation earlier. If you give Ballard more time here, I don't trust that he's going to change.
0: At all. And the, and the problem with that also is that when he's built inside out, to his point with them, regardless of where you stand on... on Costanzo's retirement, regardless of where you stand on just the handling of the offensive line and its deterioration the last three or four years, there it's now at a point where you have to once again make that a point of emphasis and rebuild there. So on the one hand, you'd like to think, okay, he wanted to build inside out. He's developed key interior positions. Now he can go focus on the outside, go get some weapons now in year five or year six. We're not there now. We're aware, okay, if you're going off of Chris Ballard's philosophy of building, Suddenly, oh, there's holes on this offensive line. I need to fix that. I need a couple more weapons on the on the defensive uh on the defensive front. And now you're no longer putting what should be your timeline when you build that way of emphasis on game-changing wideouts. Now I will say he did finally take one in Alec Pierce, and by all accounts, Alec Pierce high-level rookie season compared to where expectations were and how high level of importance it was for him to bre- have a breakout campaign. He's been very, very good. That's one piece. That's great. Now I would like a downfield threat, a speedster, somebody that is able to make plays in space. Again, the cream of the crop is Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. You're not finding those guys just left and right. They, they, don't, they don't grow on trees. They just don't. But there's a middle ground. And particularly if you have a departure like Paris Campbell or somebody like that, you're
2: going to need another speed threat that is able to make plays in space. I don't know if there's a problem in the scouting department or maybe there's a disconnect between Ballard and the scouts. Why can't the Colts have a Debo Samuel? Why can't the Colts have a Justin Jefferson? It's not like these guys were... It's not like these guys were taken at the top of their class when it comes to their position. I I just don't understand where the drop-off in scouting comes from. Because Alec Pierce is a nice player. Michael Pittman's a nice player. I don't think Michael Pittman will ever be a solidified one. Michael Pittman's a very good number 2. Yeah, I agree. Very good number 2. But he's not a one. And Michael Pittman has struggled and struggled ever since opposing defenses figured out if you double coverage this guy for more than half of the game, he's going to struggle. Because the Colts don't have anybody else to compliment him Every single play. Alec Pierce is a nice downfield threat. You didn't pay T.Y. Hilton to come back. Paris Campbell has been horribly inconsistent. Respect to his injuries. But he just has not gotten in a groove. You have not played Mike Strawn. Ashton Doolin can't stay healthy. And Desmond Patman's still on the practice squad. What do you do, Jimmy? Well, a lot of the reason they didn't have an opportunity to go
0: get um, somebody like Justin Jefferson I, or I'm Cita not Lamb. saying specifically I, that. I know I, you're not, but that's a good point. Why can not you find the next one? Because, but, but I'll answer that one, but I want to answer that the first point to begin with. You put an emphasis on your defensive line. Absolutely. It, and you went and got DeForest Buckner, and that pick, again, there are multiple trades where that pick moved around, but that pick wound up with Tampa Bay. They went and got an offensive tackle, but after that, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, just to name a few of the wide receivers, went off the board. So part of that is because of where Chris Ballard's philosophy was for this team. And at that time, the 2020 draft, they still felt like they were a championship window team. He thought, okay, I need to go get a game wrecker on the defensive line. And DeForest Buckner has been great. He, he he definitely has, but he's not quite the level of say uh, Aaron Donald or Chris Jones. But he's been a menace to deal with for opposing offensive lines. So that's answer A of of why they haven't had opportunities to do that because they have put emphasis on other spots. But those are just first round wide receivers. There's been other options, and the fact that prior to Alec Pierce, they either didn't take chances or they missed and went other areas. Like that, there will always be criticized for the Paris Campbell selection, even though
2: judging by who you could have had right. though that's Correct. the only reason not, not
0: because they took him but because of well I there was some backlash at the time but now that who could have been there yes that'll He be, was
2: a fine prospect yeah. and, but it, he couldn't stay on the field but when you look back at that second round god yeah I mean, that that's ugly and that again
0: that is why i don't see what jimmer say seeing and a lot of people could say that right no one sees what jimmer is seeing forget about your theory or your proposal of the old days is why he wants Jeff Saturday there there's no old days tied for Chris Boward. the only tie he has here is that Andrew Luck was in the building when he was here that's it there's no glory days window there and I don't agree with the philosophy of going back down to glory days but I, I bring that back up because I don't get the infatuation with Chris Boward because of where this team is at right now even though the coaches have had an impact on it too Ballard is getting, I don't want to say a larger than most average GM lifespan, so I don't have that number in front of me, but he's had enough of a sample size here to where if tomorrow Jim Irsay said Chris Ballard is relieved of his duties, would you be surprised?
2: No. No, I wouldn't either. Jimmy, you're a fan. One of your teams is in the biggest market in the country. I'm from the third biggest market in the country. A lot of us root for large market teams sure frank reich would have been fired a year ago and chris ballard too probably if the collapse of 2021 happened in new york chicago houston los angeles miami maybe i'd even throw denver in there if that happened in a big market I don't disagree with you whatsoever. I completely agree. They would be canned and thrown to the sidewalk so quickly. It wouldn't even we be a, we would we wouldn't even be talking about it Even anymore. even just this year. Give everything else a pass,
0: even this season. Like cuz let's say I don't know what market you want to pick, but let's say that say New York. That there then there were those playoff expectations for the Giants. They had a general manager there that had been there for five or six seasons. And it's like, okay, there's been some bumps, but no, we believe in our guy. We believe in our guy. We don't want to be like the Bears. We don't want to have a carousel all the time. We believe this guy's the guy of the future. Okay, man, we're going to be back in the playoffs this year. We're going to win our division. This is the expectation for this team. And you flop like this? No shot. No, no, absolutely no way in my mind is he surviving in another market. And that isn't as much to do with... It's a unique circumstance because I truly do believe... That at some point along the line, while Dermot Ursay values winning as much as any other owner, he does value the type of, not just character, but the type of people that are in his building. And perhaps he has blurred the line of success on the field with Chris Ballard's a great dude. I, I still believe in him and I'm not willing to cast him aside just yet. And that ultimately might end up costing the Colts in the long term. If they trust him with a draft
2: as important as the one in April. I just don't know how you look at yourself in the mirror. No idea. I don't either. And say this is okay. And the guy that is responsible for the signings on the field is going to be responsible for the next generation that you're supposedly going to fix this with. I'm Brendan King. That's Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is here. We will put a wrap to a Tuesday next and we'll get you some bets for your evening of sportage. Next on The Fan. The day after losing Monday. There's been a lot of losing game days for the Colts as of late. Five straight losses. We thank you for being with us. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. We are hanging with you most of the week. It will be Jimmy and our pal Chris Hagen in studio together on Thursday. Eddie will be here as well per usual as we get you to the new year, be fun to have you with Hagen in here. That should be a a raucous show, I'm sure. But before we close things today, Jimmy, make us some money. The Jay Cook plays of the day.
1: This is me. All right, I'm not a f- athlete. This is my. F- Way. This is how I
0: win. Today's plays of the day. We're going to roll with the Indiana Pacers to win the money line against the Atlanta Hawks. That taking place over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And then for today's guaranteed rate bull between Oklahoma State and Wisconsin, we're going to go with Oklahoma State. Why I'm back at Oklahoma State. Because Mike Gundy has burnt me on the last couple bull bets I've had around this time of year, I'm gonna ride with him and ride with Oklahoma State. Uh, Luke Fickle's probably not coaching, right? So. He's not. Uh, I, I'm sure he'll be on the sideline, but he's not coaching that game, nah. so his, his his era doesn't officially begin.
2: Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go ride the Gundy mullet, baby. Exactly. How about you? Uh we have some National Hockey League action tonight. We have at 9 p.m. the battle. Of Alberta, the Oilers and the Flames in Calgary. This is going to be a heated game because it's their first time seeing each other in a while. And there are always at least 100 combined penalty minutes when these guys come together. They hate each other dearly. And... I think it's going to be your classic 2-2, two, two, even third period. This game's going to overtime. You can bet games to go to overtime in the National Hockey League. I'm going to bet that the Flames and the Oilers will go to OT. You can get that at plus 375. I think that's a great bet for a game that's going to be neck and neck. Eddie!
3: I have a question for you. Yes. Are the Kings playing tonight?
2: The LA Kings? Yeah. I believe so.
3: If they, I wonder what their line is. To go to OT because I feel like they're going to OT in like every single match for the last week. You've it been a big like, hockey
2: guy as of late, haven't you? I've been watching some more yeah. hockey. lately. yeah, yeah Eddie, yes. I'm so proud of you.
3: Yeah, you, I mean, with man, the NBA. Jimmy, we just got to get you on the full Panthers train, and you'll be good to go. NBA's barely been on the last couple days. Yeah, man, week, I love I it. Say, I, yeah. I am,
2: I am bringing. That's what I'm. That's my giving gift to the fan. Whenever my time here comes to an end, I can say that I brought you guys the love of hockey. Uh, I've got
0: three
3: plays tonight. Uh, can I
0: jump in real quick? I'm a little yeah. disappointed you can't bet amount of time in the box or number of... Like, I, was I was looking over at under that, penalty and, I'm, and I'm a little disappointed.
2: Over-under penalty minutes would be a, a great bet, but I don't think they offer that, so... Hey, go ahead?
3: I've got three tonight. I'm going to take uh, LaMelo Ball. I'm going to take a combo here. Over 30 and a half on the points in the assist line. Dream matchup for Ball. He'll probably be assigned on the defensive role. That is Jordan Poole defending him. And we all know Jordan Poole doesn't have much interest in defense. And these are two of the faster-paced teams in the association. I like Lonzo Ball. Or not Lonzo. LaMelo. Over 30 and a half points and assist. The points is interesting, but I go the safe route with the points in assist. I like that number. I'm Good going in 30
2: and a half points and assists
3: yeah yep. so he needs 31 he's got that in all but three games this year and he's gotten it in the last five games since returning from injury uh, Mikhail Bridges I'm going to take under two and a half made threes uh, Phoenix is playing Memphis on the road and Bridges is not primarily a three point shooter he's more of a driver and then a spot up three I think the defensive challenges of Memphis will create uh, some problems on the exterior for Mikhail. and the final one I'm going to take Franz Wagner uh, for the Orlando Magic I'll take him over Eighteen and a half 18 and a half points against the Lakers. I think he'll have a size advantage on whomever's defending him, unless it's LeBron. I think LeBron may match up against Paolo Bencaro, but I'm not 100% sure. But if it's not LeBron, I really like the matchup of Franz versus whatever guard uh, the Lakers throw at him.
0: Love the bets as always. Want to remind you, we have a second. You can catch Pacers, Hawks right here, 935-1075. The fan, the quartet of Mark Boyle, Eddie Gill, Eddie White, and Pat Boyle doing a great job covering the Pacers throughout that pregame, in-game action, halftime, postgame, the whole nine, they have it. I did want to shift with one thing, BK, in regards to our Colts conversation, and that is the direction of this franchise with two games to go. And We have practiced patience, not patience in the sense of Chris Ballard, but patience for the Colts as an organization if they decide to go young at the quarterback spot. Now I'm not even going to use the Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence comparison. I'm going to use Justin Herbert for a second. Justin Herbert electrifies at times and is viewed in the same breath at times in that kind of Joe Burrow range of top quarterbacks in the AFC. He's shown flashes of brilliance. He struggled sometimes. He's had those rookie bumps in his 2020 campaign. Took him three seasons to get to the playoffs. That is the reality of maybe not a rebuild, but with where the path the Colts have to go on, we're never going to... Chastise winning, right? But if they go the route of the young quarterback, and you sit there and tell yourself, "Oh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go to the playoffs right away." Now, granted, the South is much friendlier confines than the AFC West, no doubt about that. But the South is at least rising in one area with the emergence of Trevor Lawrence as starting quarterback. It is no longer a cakewalk in that division with the, what Jag- Jacksonville is trying to build. So you can't bank on that. It's realistically probably a two to three year window. Before you arrive at your playoff destination and are in this next era of what you hope is a golden age of football,
2: listen. I'll be deathly terrified if the Texans draft Bryce Young number one overall. That means four times a year you must see Bryce Young and Trevor Lawrence, and then depending on what the Titans do, it's not out of the question that they trade up. Right? Tannehill's done. If you don't like Malik Willis, you know nothing to their standard says you have to stick with Malik Willis. Right. So uh, out of all the teams that... So here's the here's the draft order. So the Lions have two picks in the first 18. That's a candidate to trade up. No. The Falcons have the number six pick. Is Ritter the guy? I don't think so. The Texans, they have two of the first 11 picks. So you pair Bryce Young with a nice little weapon... That can be a really quick turnaround down in Houston. If Lovey Smith goes and they hire the right coach, look elsewhere. The Buccaneers at 20. If Brady leaves, could they think about trading? The Commanders at 21. There are viable candidates to trade up. If the Colts think they're safe at five and can have an easy route to trade up if they want, I think they'll find themselves in a world of trouble. Those
0: are going to be conversations that are continued to head across the fan over the coming weeks as we get into the draft, but based on it again, Jim says comments yesterday that Chris Ballard is the GM uh, next season, what they plan to do. Of course, he could always change his mind, but I just, I do not see it and it's it's just a damning state of affairs for your indianapolis colts had a fun one today as always eddie gill talking pacers joel erickson and charlie clifford talking colts keep it right here right with jmv coming up next and of course pacers coverage pacers hawks right here on the fan starting at seven o'clock mike chappell host of others going to join us tomorrow as we get closer and closer to another colts matchup on the fan